everyone. Welcome to True Cult Pop, the pop music. Yeah, I said it. Fucking pop music podcast. It's me, Stephen Hill. I hope you're well. This is episode 25. I'm joined as ever by the magic man. Um, <laughs> being impartial as ever, as he needs to be. Uh, are the, uh, the 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 very very extensive contract that I drew up from before we started this podcast? <laughs> it's um Tory hater Sam Slight. How you doing, Sam? You alright? I'm very well. Uh, I am going to be presenting Match of the Day next week. It's going to be the best episode you'll have seen in years. Take it from Ooh. me, a true blue all the goals gunner runner of all of them. Yeah, yeah. All the goals, Bloody not hell. just some of them. All the goals from every game, honestly. And then you, wow. you still have time to go down the pub with Scott Jenricks and MT brilliant what yeah. a funny week it's been uh Ugh. joining us on this week because this week we've got a an episode you may have seen we've done a twitter poll and this week on the show we're going to bin off the reviews just for a week and much like we did with when we find found the finest live album ever we this week are going to be finding the best drummer of all time it's only a bit of fun as i know some of you have been getting annoyed on twitter already it's only a bit of fun but i know you're probably sitting there thinking you Stephen Hill and the the other one as well. The flat-footed one as well. Yeah, yeah. What do you know about drums? Nothing, (laughs) you big idiot. So. Uh, we're going to show you. We have brought in an expert voice to help us out with. Um, he's already shaking. Don't shake yes, your you head. Are. Yes, you are. Um, an expert voice to to help us out um, with finding the greatest drum of all time. He is the engine room behind the finest groove ragga metal punk rock machine in the world. He also has some of the best T-shirts I've ever seen in my life, and some of the best drum heads ever. He is the drummer in the wonderful Skin Dreads. And a good friend of mine, I have to say, welcome to the show, Mr. Aria Goggin. How you doing, Aria? You good, buddy? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, that was the best intro I've ever had for any anything. So thank you very much. I don't it's deserve recur- any of it. No, you do, you do. It's a recurring <laughs> theme when people come on. They always say, what a good intro I give. I mean, it is all downhill from here, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like to start strong. If you come on for 26 weeks on the trot, the intros get worse, mate. I'll, I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> What you just heard, Sam. Yeah, yeah, that was my one. Ridiculous babbling crap, wasn't it, basically? (laughs) Um, Mate, how you doing? Well, thank you for having me. I'm good. Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, dude. Yeah. What's what's going on in the the Skin Dread camp and the Skin Dread world? Other than that, you know, we just said before we started, congratulations on your nominee for best, only best live British band, but whatever, at the Heavy Music Awards. Just had that, haven't you? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, to be uh, nominated in something like that with a load of great bands, you know, we're really... uh, really thankful that we're still here able to do it and uh yeah at least making some people happy when we play live not everyone but some you know that's like our thing <laughs> most, most people most people trying to make most people happy in the audience and surely we we're going to be getting a new record from you guys soon I yes so we're gearing up for a new record that comes out in august so we're doing you know all the festivals and touring um opening up for kiss which is random as fuck which is wicked i mean I don't think anyone saw that coming. No, no one in the band certainly did. So we were like, <laughs> just one of those things that came and landed in the lap. It was like, wow, okay. I don't. I, I couldn't even tell you how that happened. So really, usually, right. yeah, usually there's like chats behind the scenes, and like you know something's like in talks. I mean, like we had Christmas, and my manager rang me. I hadn't spoken to him for about four weeks, and he was just like, oh, you're going to be supporting Kiss. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> That's mental, mate. Are you going to be able to stay on because this this Kiss? You don't want to get too stuck in this, the the, the Kiss multiverse, <laughs> because this Kiss tour is that was supposed to end in 2018 or something, their farewell tour, 
feels like it's going on forever. Like, how how long are you going to be on it? Do you know? I mean, they can sign us up as long as they pay us. I don't really mind. I mean, they've got loads of cash. So who knows? They certainly have. You know, I remember we played with Ozzy, I think, on his farewell tour. I think that was probably, I don't know, that was 2010. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I saw him on his No More Tours tour in 96. So, you know, just keep keep hitting them out, you know. Do you reckon you get Gene Simmons doing the old Newport helicopter? Whack the old oh, breastplate off. Don't want to off. see that. Don't, don't want to see that. that. <laughs> he might try and paint in it and steal it off us, you know? <laughs> the the, uh, the official kiss Newport helicopter. That's what it's going <laughs> to Yeah, gonna exactly. Um, all right. Well, this we'll, we'll, we'll get back to it in a second. Before we go any further on the show, um, I just should point everybody in the direction of our Patreon page because, you know, as Aria makes a good point, we all need money, whether you're Gene Simmons or whether you're sam you need money so go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and you can sign up for our exclusive content over there coming on saturday sam and i spoke about chocolate starfish and a hot dog flavored water by limp biscuit for quite a, quite a long time quite mm. quite a bit as longer you should than, yeah. as we should, are you a fan of that album you're of course you, i am yeah <laughs> of yeah, course come on it's i think great, i'm more right? of a fan of it now than i was at the time well this is something we say actually because it's kind of like it's not a guilty pleasure anymore to like that record. I mean, even if it ever kind of was, it's just not a guilty pleasure anymore. I think people are kind of like, yeah, why wouldn't I like Limp Bizkit? And it's a beautiful thing to see, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be there at Wembley, hoping they play all their songs, you know? Great. Yeah, I love it. So even even Sam, a man who just like, just paints himself. Just likes Godflesh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just likes <laughs> Godflesh and hates fun. Even yeah, you yeah. were quite, quite keen on Limp Bizkit, Sam. Yeah, I can't deny it anymore. I've been living a lie, but ever since my mate lent me that Greatest Hits compilation, it's like, no, they they are good. They're good for a good time, aren't they? And ultimately, you know, as long hey, as long as you enjoy it and as long as it's not hurting anyone or breaking stuff, then whatever, go for it. Fill your boots. <laughs> yeah, it was a good chat. That's coming out on Saturday, so you can sign up and uh, and listen to that. Coming on Wednesday, slightly more serious, but for me, just as... Uh, just as pleasing a thing to do mm. um our next classic album is going to be coming out next week we're going to be talking about crack the sky by master don sam you're getting your notes ready to talk about um i i don't know if it's the my favorite master don album but i've been listening to it and it might just be the the quote-unquote best i reckon I mean, for me, it's the best. And as I have already established, my favourite one, I think it is an absolute masterclass in emotive and expansive um, progressive heavy metal that doesn't ever lose sight of feel and and rhythm and groove, which I think is actually going to be a a recurring theme on today's episode, to be honest, feel and rhythm and groove. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving deep into one of my favourite albums ever. You a fan of that record, Toraria? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm familiar with Mastodon. You know, I wouldn't say I'm like... A big fan you know i've seen him play loads of watched it mm. watched him play doing festival runs i had like friends in the crew that have always been there so I always go and watch them and i think to watch them live i'm always blown away by how amazing players they are you mm-hmm. know as we'll get into in a little bit yeah, yeah. They're, they're one of those bands yes. i think in their heyday when i say heyday i mean partying heyday because i think a lot of them <laughs> you know boozed and played hard and they're one of those bands in the Pantera world, that it didn't matter what they did, they would always be on point playing, and I'm, which is weird. <laughs> not every not every band is like that at that <laughs> technical level, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean, I think I might have said before. Oh, do you know? I don't know if I'm going to this story again now. 
I took Jedi. Hang it. I once sort of bumped into Brent Hines uh, in the guest <laughs> yes. area of Hellfest, and uh, I didn't escape with my functions intact. So there anyway, you go. So you, so you know. You know. I know. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you more about that another day. But anyway, uh, like I say, go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and sign up for all of our stuff there. Um, we always sort of chat about a song that we have been listening to, a song which is sort of stuck in our head every week. Ari, I'm going to let you kick off as you are our guest. You sent us in a song from the band Yonaka Panic, a brand new, pretty, pretty new song, right? Yeah, I just... Um... One of my friends is out crewing for them at the moment. And he was like, oh, are you aware of the band? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I don't really know too much about them. So I went on their Spotify and they had a new song out. And I was like, it's been in my head for at least a couple of weeks, actually. I think it's a great tune. You know, so I don't really know too much of the band. And sometimes I think it's quite nice when you don't have to. I don't know where they're from. I, I, are they American? I don't really know. So, I mean, I think the tune's just wicked. It's got big production. So, yeah, I, I think they're from the UK. I don't know much about them either. I don't really know that much about them, but I listened to this. It's kind of the first thing of theirs that I've ever listened to. And um, yeah, anthemic 2000s pop rock. Shades of the Ting Tings. Well, yes. And also, I don't know if it's if I'm going to geek out too much, but they've borrowed something, which well, I think they've borrowed something. And I don't know if the reference is too cool or not cool, <laughs> but there's that Nickelback track, Rockstar. That's exactly what I was going to say, yes. Yeah, and they've sort of taken the Billy Gibbons sort of hook from that and they've done so, i don't know if it's even if they even you know if it's intentional by them but that was the first thing i heard and i was like it's really catchy they've done their own twist on it but that's like you know can you get away with ripping off nickelback i mean why not i mean it's a i mean it's more like billy gibbons than nickelback i don't know but i thought the hook was cool yeah i i think they have got away with it to be honest i think yeah. they have um sam what would you reckon about this tune uh so you don't had, like had, it do no you? I, I don't i was gonna say we've had guests on before so uh jamie lemon came on and he brought in that song that he actually really didn't like but we were kind of i think we were a bit perplexed by but ultimately quite enjoyed i'm afraid to say i really can't stand this at all i think the chorus on it is good i think it has got a good hook to it i think when their lead vocalist um is part of a kind of multi-layered vocal track it really works but in the verses i mean basically all of the reference points that you two have just pointed out really really great on me i don't hate nickelback but i do find rockstar a pretty interminable song and then the ting tings that kind of squeaky vo- it reminds me of the squeaky voice teen from the simpsons but doing a kind of like cheeky chappy accent and it's got a little bit of that kind of naughty's indie thing that i don't like at all there's a kind of cringes you out then absolutely there's a kind of nebworth sway to it and it's like oh god i really i it doesn't work for me i think the production is pretty beefy i will give it that it does sound good although i do find the guitars a little bit more muddy than perhaps they should be for something that's aiming to be as rousing as it is but it's not for me however i'm surprised that i don't really know yonaka but i think i'm maybe the most familiar of the three of us because i am 99 percent certain i saw them as main support the first time i ever saw black peaks Oh, oh wow. wow! Okay, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was them opening for Black Peaks at oh god, uh, some small venue in Snow- Stoke on Trent in uh, mid 2016. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Yonica then, and uh, I remember not being particularly taken with them then. So at least I'm consistent. Yeah, I mean that's all we can ask of you, to be honest, Sam. Yeah, uh, it's bare minimum, really. I don't mind it. I do find that it is. I mean, the thing is, I listen. I've listened to it twice, three times maybe, and. It's immediately, instantaneously very catchy. Mm. And I got it. And then second time, I was like, oh, I really get it. And third time, I was like, I knew all the stuff that was coming. And I quite like, I felt 
then that makes me feel clever when I can sing along <laughs> to something. So, you know, I was quite into it. And yeah, I, I thought that kind of Ting Ting's meets, I mean, I hate to, yeah, it's it's got, ref, the references for it are actually stuff that I don't really like. Mm. But I think it's so sort of catchy that I think it, 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 it it goes close to the wind and gets away with it. I quite like it. I quite yeah, like it. I like the I mean, bratty vocal. I, I'm like, I haven't heard that kind of style in rock for a minute. I mean, I don't know. If, but I, I was, my ears pricked up. I was like, oh, okay, they know how to write a catchy, poppy tune, which I think, mm. you know, it, you should never underestimate how hard that actually is. And that's mm. what pricked my ears up, you know. It's sort of the simpler things that you can do to get people's attention, I think, are sometimes the most effective, you know, yeah. spelling out lyrics. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like all of those songs that have counts in them, one, two, three, four. You've got your audience right there because most people can do that, right? Yeah, so, it is. It's I'm true. assuming I mean, most well, people can spell, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's only, I mean, well, we we are bigging up the Slate album last week and he was spelling mm. a, an even shorter word than this, Sam. So I don't yeah. know why you've suddenly turned into a snob. Just <laughs> <laughs> I prefer it when I prefer it when face name more spell longer words because I've got a good vocabulary. So. Yeah, right. That's what it is. That's what it is. Uh, go on then. Well, I'll tell you what. That so that's um, Yunaka Panic, which is a new song. Um, go on, Sam. Go on. It, the 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 flip to that yes is what you've brought in, which is speaking of infectious rhythms and melody i've brought in crush my soul by godflesh um i think i reference godflesh most weeks on this show uh but i don't think i've really spoken about them beyond a live review so it's quite nice to actually bring them in uh it's the uh single or the post-release single from their only major label album which was selfless in 1994 uh i know steve is fairly familiar with uh godflesh aria i'll come to you in a minute because i don't know um what your relationship with them is but this is actually quite a poppy song by their standards. I think it's got a really cool kind of dragging bounce to it. And GC Green playing a kind of slapped version of his typically pummeling and grinding bass just adds a little bit of <laughs> almost light to their very, very cold and industrial sound. I think it's great. I absolutely love Justin Broderick on it, as I, I just love him on everything, basically. But I think his vocals, he does actually have hooks in there. When I saw them live, I was, at, you know, stood in the middle of the crowd, absolutely boogie and going, crush my soul, make me feel. Like, it gets stuck in your head. It is it is pretty instantaneous by Godflesh's standards. Anyway, Aria, um, what's your relationship with Godflesh? I, I don't know if you know them. I know, know of the band. It's one of those bands where they've just been around forever. So, you know, the name, you know, I, can, I can see the album covers and, you know, I think you listen to tracks, you know, I think it was in that time where I say industrial, but you know, there were, I don't know how industrial, you know, Misery Loves Co were or wrong and those kind of bands. I mean, I always felt Godflesh were the scarier of those, you know, those bands. And so I think the production, you know, even on actually some of those really early pitch shifter records, you know, like um, where it was pretty basic, but there was like this doomy, savage, I think it was a lot to do with the drum tones. And you say that mm. the bass, but with Godflesh, I'm not really that familiar with, the, you know, with albums or tunes, but it's like osmosis. I could probably, if it's in a club, I'll go, okay, I recognize his voice. Mm. That's going to be a, a Godflesh tune. But I listened to this track and I was like, yeah, savage riff, grooving, you know, mm. I was pleasantly surprised to be honest. I thought it was pretty cool. That's good to hear. I mean, you're right. Godflesh definitely do have a, a, an idiosyncratic sound, even within industrial that can have quite narrow parameters. But I think around this era, um, so the album before it, Pure, and this one, they go for a slightly more dancey territory in, in the drum machine compositions and everything. Um, 
So this is probably a more accessible bit, but I'd say if, if you were interested in checking out more Godflesh, as everyone would be screaming as a recommendation, go for the debut because Street Cleaner is, it is a classic. It's not my favourite, but it is a classic, definitely. I love Street Cleaner. I think it's fucking mm. great. I mean, yeah, I think this is, um, this is a, this is a wicked song. You know, yeah. I think like, I, like, it's funny that you've kind of gone for the, the, almost like the, the drum pattern area and Sam, you've mentioned the bass. I think that grinding riff, which just sounds like kind of bone, being rubbed against bone is the the fucking that's the shit i like and again you know yeah justin broderick somehow managing to create i wouldn't say as catchy a chorus as the last song we were talking about but something <laughs> something memorable something memorable just from basically like you know barking like a dog which is mm. you know all it's gotta be hard great <laughs> yeah it is good it's really good it is a good song crush my soul by godflesh would um, you like to know a little tidbit about the song steve oh, would uh, i would have i you, have you seen the video for it before no Okay, so it is the only official Godflesh uh, music video. It's the only accompanying uh, music video they've ever had for a song. They wanted to get H.R. Geiger to direct it, but he was way too expensive. And so they ended up getting uh, Andre Serrano, who at the time was... Uh, he'd become controversial for Piss Christ, his photograph in 1987. But didn't people didn't sort of know him widely. They got him to direct this video and showed it to Kirk Hammett before it was broadcast. And that's how Kirk enlisted Andre Serrano for the load and reload artworks. And apparently Justin was really, really annoyed because he didn't get any credit for introducing him to Kirk Hammett. So, yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. No, it's actually got, uh, it's quite a muted colour palette, but um, it's not in a black and white. It's it's quite lurid colours. It's it's deeply unpleasant as you expect Godflesh to be. And it features a lot of grotesque uh, religious kind of bastardizations. It's a really good video. Like, it's definitely worth a watch. Oh, nice. I might do that. I didn't. I. Did, I mean, Ari, you'll back me up on this. British metal bands in the nineties, just no videos, wasn't there? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, you, you only could see them maybe, maybe like Headbangers Ball, and then that would be, I don't know, more like the Almighty, and that's not really what we're talking about here. So, no, no. I mean, n even Noisy Mothers was. You know, you'd get Maiden, but it was mainly US acts. So. Yeah, I mean, the idea of someone like, you know, uh, I think Mel Pitchifter did a video for Genius. And I think Earthto9 did one for Tatwam Azzy. And I remember being like, wow, Earthto9 have made a video. And it just felt like, you know, <laughs> oh, you're all, right, all right, Hollywood. Oh, you're going to hang out with Quentin Tarantino now, are you, Carl? Like, <laughs> it, it felt like the maddest shit. But yeah, um, so I didn't know they had a video. And that is mm. a cool story, Sam. Well done. Um, I tell you, who does have a video. Mm -hmm. um the young ones obviously yes of course we've got a video <laughs> uh i have picked uh this is quite a boring video but it's a great song getting away with it by electronic it's been in my fucking head just randomly tune. put on oh mate it's such a tune so it's a lead single from the late 80s early 90s supergroup. um their debut album featuring uh, Bernard Sumner of New Order, Johnny Marr from the Smiths, and Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys together, together at last. Um, <laughs> it got to number 12 on the UK singles chart, which actually I thought was quite low. I felt like it would have got higher than that. Do you know what Wait, I mean? That's a top five tune. That is a top five tune. Yeah. yeah. Right then, I'm, su I'm surprised. With, with, with that lineup as well. Yeah. Sumner, Marr, and Tennant. Yeah. You'd have thought, you know, this is. New Order massive at this point. Obviously, the Smiths probably just split up, so people would be like clamouring for something from Johnny Marr. Pet Shop Boys absolutely massive as well. You know, I think like two or three number one albums back to back at this point for Pet Shop Boys. What years did this track album. come out? Nine eighty nine. 
Oh wow, okay. That's, mm. that's actually um earlier than I thought. Me too. Yeah. I, I thought, thought I thought it was a 90s, 90s tune. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a 90s. And I weirdly I kind of put it on because I had the album back in the day and I do remember hearing this song on the, this song was on the radio all the time. And I feel like Electronic as a band have maybe been a bit sort of forgotten about in the sands of time or whatever. But if you are one of those people who listen to our show and have been like, oh, I've never really, I never really checked out New Order. I never really checked out the Smiths. I never really checked out the Pet Shop Boys or whatever. This isn't just, just an absolutely brilliant pop song. It's got that factory records, um, keyboard kind of piano, ding, ding, that danceable dance rock keyboard, which drives the whole thing. And, one of the most brilliantly soaring choruses of any song of this genre ever i fucking love this song this kind of acid house like poker faced acid house rock banger this is like indie rock banger fucking great tune fucking great tune i completely uh, agree i think yeah, it's you like banging. yeah i think it's great it's like i couldn't tell you the other songs off the record i know the single you know it was a bit like when Hooky did Monaco. It's like mm. I knew the track, you know. What do you want from Yeah, me? which was a that great one. tune, you know. But I thought I think this song's great. Mm. What about you, Sam? Uh as someone who absolutely adores Joy Division, loves Pet Shop Boys, quite likes uh, Bit of New Order, likes the Smiths despite their lead vocalist. I'd never heard of Electronic, uh, so this was a first for me. Today is my first ever listen to it. This is fucking brilliant. This is an amazing I song. I love the uh, orchestral, uh, not even accoutrements, the kind of orchestral backing that gives the whole thing that swell under that distinctive kind of funky, kind of choppy Johnny Marr guitar, rare guitar solo from Johnny Marr as well. And yeah, Sumner sounds great on it, as he always does. I like him doing those quite sardonic verses that... I thought I thought when I was listening to it, it's like, is he kind of taking the piss a bit? Like his performance, not in terms of his performance, but it's like lyrically, it sounds like he's making fun of something. And then I looked up uh, just the Wikipedia entry for the song. Apparently, it is written as a parody of um, Morrissey. It is meant to be written as a kind of you know mm. morose, like well, basically a kind of <laughs> send up of what the man that we now know to be a morose but daft racist. So uh, <laughs> I I love it even more. Basically, it's great. I think this is an absolutely banging song. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of Electronic though, which um. I, I'm really surprised in myself because, as I say, I fucking love Joy Division. Yeah, I think the self-titled electronic album is good, right? Mm. It's good. This is one of those occasions where the like, if we were doing a sort of full podcast on it, this is the song, right? right. Everything else on it is quite good. I think there's some really great tracks on it, but you know, it's not an absolute. Um, it's not an amazing record. It's a decent. This record. is still playing, right? This is still oh, playing yeah. on the radio all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, on the radio stations like, I listen to. So, like, radio, <laughs> yeah, Radio X or um, or Absolute Eighties or something like that yeah. would be all over this shit, right? Definitely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great tune, and I always thought it was that Morris. I always was like, is this because I knew it was Johnny Marr, and I was like, oh, it must mm. be Morris as well because he goes, oh, I love you more than you love me. Like that is mm. that is well Morrissey when Bernard Sumner does that. So yeah, everyone's mugging, but they all mug off Morrissey, don't they? Yeah, too right. As they should. Yeah, yeah. Robert Smith. So Robert Smith goes in hard on Morrissey. Another reason to love Robert Smith. <laughs> yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, if you don't know this tune, and I'm sure, I think a lot of you will. But if you don't, you will. You will love this. I get this. I promise you, you will love this. Getting away with it by 
electronic and he said new order then that would have been embarrassing right, right um we're gonna bin off the news we're gonna bin off the live stuff by the time you listen to this i will have seen lizzo but that's actually tomorrow as we record so we're going to review lizzo next week but i can tell you now, my review my review yeah my review is it's gonna it's it was brilliant <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine can you imagine going to see lizzo and it not being good Can't no that. i mean it might be disappointing when she doesn't do do hast which obviously has now become a bigger song because she's trying to muscle it on <laughs> metals, metals uh rich territories definitely as definitely. we have established yes yeah for sure yeah um so we very much like we did finding the finest live album a few weeks ago a month ago or so we put it to you our listeners on our twitter poll what we should do next we gave you four options of best thing that we could try and find you came up with drummers find the finest drummer we cobbled together a list of 32 we did have a lot in there. I've whittled it down to 32 people. Sam, myself, and Aria have all chucked in a wild card. So essentially, we have 29 drummers and our own individual pick each. Um, to be fair, only one of us has picked one that really has any chance of doing that well in this competition, to be perfectly honest, because there are a lot of good drummers. There are a mm. lot of omissions here, a hell of a lot of omissions. So I'm going to apologize to you if your favorite drummer isn't in here. I'm going to apologize to Tony Allen, to Abe Cunningham, to Ben Collar, to Matt Cameron, to Rennie, to many more people. Um, but these are the people that we had in this particular list. Um, I'm obviously going to come to you first, Aria. Uh, is there any people that didn't make this last 32 that you want to shout out as being a particular influence um, on you? Yeah, I mean... There was quite a few, if I'm honest, Steve, but it's it's really Go difficult. It. I mean, there's like what the criteria I think is specific to the the person, right? So a lot mm. of the a lot of the time, it's going to be the music. My favorite drummers growing up were in my favorite bands. That's just the way it was. And then as you became, you know, you did more on your instrument and you sort of looked at other other players, other styles of music. It all came, you know, as the journey. So you know, there was bands like uh, Pantera. Vinnie Paul, he's not there. Yeah, I think um, Alex Van Halen, and you know mm -hmm. those both those guys. I feel as a drummer, when you listen to them, when they when they're playing, you can tell it's them. And I think that's the rarest thing with drummers. It's really hard to get. It's that that quality of when you hear someone hit these things, you can tell it's them. I think Chad Smith, he's got that. He he didn't make the list, but I don't want to say a lot of these heavy hitters because. I don't know if, you know, if you've revealed your list to the world. I said, you know, you've done a Twitter poll, but. Yeah, yeah, we have. Everybody. Yeah. Knows. By this point, everyone Does everyone know? Who's, know? who's, yeah, people know who is and who isn't on there. Mm. I mean, you picked a couple of good ones there. I mean, Chad Smith, I just, I could, because of what the Red Hot Chili Peppers have become. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. Um, <laughs> but he's yeah. an incredible drummer. He's he absolutely, and he, he's, he's got the thing, the special sauce. So, you know, Taylor mm. Hawkins has got that thing. Mm, I know yeah. that I know you've had to pick either Taylor Hawkins or Dave Grohl. I mean, we'll get into all of that side of it. But it, yeah, it's really difficult, really difficult. So I, I felt bad for you having to do that as non-drummers as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what we should point out. We don't necessarily strictly know exactly what we're talking about. Um, Sam, uh, it, what what do you what, what kind of as as someone who is just a, a bloke who listens to music like me, what is it about? A, what do you think makes a drummer stand out to you? Um, for me, the best drummers, uh, as somebody who has attempted to teach himself and tried to learn drums, uh, but just is completely incapable of it. I just do not have the hand foot coordination. I think for me, the most impressive drummers. So growing up, 
um I mean, with all music, I mean, much like yourself, Aria, the ones you gravitate towards are the ones that are in your favourite bands, not necessarily because of their kind of ability or their performance. But for me, it is finding the sweet spot between technicality and injecting kind of harmonics and feel into it. Like, I think being able to feel the emotion behind a drummer's playing in the same way that I think, you know, my favourite bass players, it's not just about playing a million miles a second. It's about bringing a kind of gravitas to the song and serving the song, most importantly. That's what I look for in a drummer. So it's groove, mood and feel with technicality thrown in for the very, very best ones. I mean, yeah, so when I was younger, I was always looking for more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'd always think that the drummer with the biggest kit would be the best one by default. But then, well, I discovered so many other bands and particularly my wild card pick. And it's like, ah, no, I'm much more impressed by doing a lot more with a lot less. I think that is that is the sign of a great drummer to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, for me, um, I, any, th- th- when you listen to a song and there's a memorable moment that comes from the drums, mm. I think they really stick out. You mentioned Vinnie Paul. Unfortunately, we didn't have Vinnie Paul in this list, but Vinnie Paul is full of like, you know, those fills in Pantera songs yeah. that become as iconic and as sort of memorable as the vocals or a big guitar solo or whatever he's got loads of them and i think you know i love that i love that in a i mean we'll talk about a bunch of them when we get into this list i'm sure but i love that but yeah you know but also i don't want to be just sort of bombarded with you know like you say sam i don't want someone who's like i'm just gonna beat this thing to smithereens for kind of no reason you know kind of no real reason there can be an indulgence in technicality, which I think, um, yeah, it, it tends to put me off drummers these days, to be honest. I mean, there, there are, uh, well, speaking of drummers who can find hooks, but with a lot of technicality, I mean, one that I was surprised didn't make it in, who I'd like to shout out, obviously Thomas Harker. I think when you listen to Bleed, the drums are what you talk about. But, um, but I mean, even if he were in here, I wouldn't be, you know, kind of plumping for him for my absolute top one. Um, yeah, so we'll see how it goes, won't we? But yeah, drum hooks, definitely a big thing as well. Mm. I mean, you're going to know more about all this stuff than us, Aria, as we go through it. But I mean, you say that. <laughs> you say that. It's like, you I know, don't... I look at some, some of these guys on the list. I don't know their work, but I you know some of them, if I'm being completely honest. And that's just, you know, like I, like we say, when we get into it, there'll probably be some guy that I reference and you'll be like, what, why would you even include this guy in your personal list? So, you know, when we get into it, I think the Ginger Baker one's going to be interesting. Okay, fair. Um, well, let let's get into it then. Let's start with tie number one. It is um, a big tie. I should also say, you know, how we're going to decide this is we're just going to talk about how we feel about each one and come to a consensus. Obviously, we have there will be a majority vote. Whatever happens, we also have your Twitter poll or our Twitter poll. We have the results here in front of us as well. So if it's getting a little bit too like Umi and Ari. We may refer to the Twitter poll, although I have to say, some of you on the Twitter poll, you you, you let yourselves down a little bit. We come <laughs> to a little <laughs> a little bit later, but anyway, tie number one: John Bonham versus Hal Blaine. Let's start with John Bonham. John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, obviously. I think one of the favourites to win the whole thing. Anytime mm. you ever talk about a great drummer, especially a hard hitting drummer john bonham in it i mean yeah i for me he's you know he's top three 
of all time. You know, to my personal music taste when I was a kid, you know, the older kids would be listening to Zeppelin. You know, some of the first records I sort of got into drumming wise were Led Zeppelin. I think Good Times, Bad Times, the first track, Led Zeppelin one, introducing you to not just the band, but Bonham as a young player doing stuff that no one had ever done before with a single kick drum. You know, that feel. He's got the thing as we were talking about. Every record he's ever played on, you know it's him. It's, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about him, really. I, you know, I think he's probably influenced more rock drummers than anyone else. So, mm. fantastic. Yeah, he's great. I mean, there's that, I don't know if you uh, know this story, Aria, where apparently when they recorded When the Levy Breaks, that track is one microphone hung out the top floor studio and John Bonham is in like the stairwell outside the studio and that that is that kick that's what you hear yeah we ripped it off so many times <laughs> everyone yeah. else when you're in a studio it's like right let's kit, let's set the kit up in the stairwell or outside we want to go for the you know the bonham sound you know you try your best it never sounds like it but it's just like i think it's iconic really and i don't like to use that word but i guess oh, mate. it's going to be used quite a lot i think in this oh definitely yeah, yeah. in this absolutely iconic and i mean i think it's the fact that he hits those things so fucking hard. Like the, the power that you can hear in what was what, 1970 we're talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. fuck me. Like the dude in terms of just how hard you can hit, you know, um, he's pretty much unrivaled for most of the people we've got on here. It's incredible. Yeah, I think, I think with him as well. I mean, aside from the actual technical ability and what he brought, he served the song. You know, there are tracks where he could really lay back and he put something, you know, just a few tasty ghost notes in there just to know that he's still there, you know, that would support the vocal. There's nothing really major going on. He would never detract from the vocal when it was time to rip. He would. He just had that. He served the song more perfectly than anyone else, I think, for that. It's, you know, when the song ramped up and it was time to improvise, you know, you've seen those Led Zeppelin live concerts. It's just like, wow, OK, that guy's on fucking fire. But the way he would tune his drums as well, because he, he tuned them like jazz drums. The kick drums were wide open. The tom-toms were really tuned up high. Everyone thinks with Bonham, it's like thud, thud, thud. I mean, that's what we all do now. You know, dampening your drums to make them sound really big and meaty. Everything was tuned up. The resonance out of the kit, it wasn't this controlled sound. It was very, very live. And, you know, whenever you try and go, okay, I'm going to do a Bonham style thing on my kit, you go, okay, it's tune it all down so it's thuddy. And it's like, nah, he's, they're all tuned up, you know, well, which know is, that. yeah, which is cool. Is that he played like a jazz tuning, massive drums, 20 inch, 26 inch kick, and it was wide open, you know, it wasn't damp. And like when you go to rock gigs today, it's like you're going to, you see those bands playing and they've got triggers going. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't sound like that. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. Pioneer for the sound. For sure. Sam, do you want to uh, wade in on John Bonham, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that story about the recording of the levy, when the levy breaks, it's like to be able to communicate so much power in such sort of fluid playing over such great distance as well. I mean, you would think about quite how far away that microphone was and how loud it still sounds. That is incredible. But you're absolutely right, Ari. I think his greatest strength is being able to bring that technicality in a way that serves the songs and keeps that groove going. I mean, John Paul Jones frequently described him as a bass player's dream. And it's like the, the fact that the rhythm section could lock in so well. I mean, both of them absolute masters of their craft. But I think, yeah, John Bonham, I mean, you're absolutely right. 
his recorded introduction that most people know good times bad times i mean it's like fuck me how how would you top that unless you were john bonham it's absolutely incredible i mean yeah gotta be a favorite surely yeah well i mean the twitter vote by the way 274 votes 93.8 percent of the votes went to john bonham which is the clearest win we have of all 16 ties in the first tie Mm. but i'm gonna say this let's not sleep on hal blaine here for a second let's give this dude the props that he should get because that's the man who made that beat from be my baby by the ronettes and helped to craft that spectre wall of sound it's a simple beat but this is a dude who played with elvis presley with bob dylan with the biggest hits of the mamas and poppers the beach boys sinatra i mean you know he he plays on something stupid by Frank and Nancy Sinatra. He played on Strangers in the Night. And this is Frank Sinatra as a man who famously would come in and only do one vocal take. So you've got a drummer there who has to be on the fucking money with Frank Sinatra first time around. Mr. Tambourine Man, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Unchained Melody, Good Vibrations. That is a serious CV that this dude has. These two guys, I think... It, it's it's weird because you've got a band guy who exists in one one thing. He does he does Zeppelin and he does that's his thing. And you've got probably one of the most recorded drummers of hist- in history. That's that's the you know that's what we're up against, isn't it? It's uh, I think it, it's different because you've got Hal Blaine who serve his whole purpose is to serve the soul. Mm. His whole purpose isn't to show off because that's not what pop music's about, especially in that time when he's it's about serving the vocal and doing probably the least amount possible to let that vocal breathe. And I think it's it's weird because I think a lot of these things, it's like, oh, how are these guys going to go off against each other when they're so different? But I guess that's the beauty of what we're trying to do here. I feel with Hal, it's, you know, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? As his own thing. Yep. You know, not part, not part of a group, but as a, a drummer, his own you know his own being <laughs> just playing the drums for all of those people he's there and zeppelin are there as a group i don't know man i'm like i feel it's unfair but i think a lot of you know life's unfair isn't it <laughs> you know life is, he, he... yeah life is unfair but um but i think you know how blaine did a lot of incredible stuff like mm. a lot a lot of incredible stuff i mean that like you say yeah i think he looking you know i looked it up and he, he played on thirty-five thousand recordings apparently uh, 150 of them were us top 10s and he was on 40 number one singles across his time and i mean you're absolutely right aria it is a completely different beast because he's playing on other people's songs so he's got to bring the best out of his performance um to satisfy kind of their end goal rather, yeah, it's... rather than just showing off yeah, it's yeah. a different mentality as well when you're, you know, John Bonham is is part of a collective, as I keep saying, and it's like, you know, he's an equal member of Zeppelin. You know, what he what he wants to bring to the party for a song is down to him. Obviously, they've all got their own ideas about the song, but with Hal Blaine, he will be, you know, given a brief, I imagine. It's like, this is the kind of tune, and, you, you know, he ain't going to bust out the double kick drum, is he? It's like... <laughs> He's got he's got he's got to serve the tune, you know. That's a that's an amazing skill, and yeah, I feel like for me, Bonham has influenced more people. I think, like as, in, in a greater sense, I think there are more rock drummers drummers that will go, okay, yeah, Bonham, and they'll go. I think probably a lot of people won't know who Hal Blaine is either. 
which is yeah, I would the say, greatest yeah. thing about a session musician that you, they, you shouldn't know who they are really. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, looking up uh, a fantastic bass guitarist, um, Carol Kay. I was doing a bit of research into her late last year. And, you know, she appeared on well over 10,000 recordings as a session bass guitarist, including basically the whole of Pet Sounds by Beach Boys, one of the most celebrated session musicians ever. I'd never heard her name and I, you know, grew up playing bass guitar. I think it is absolutely incredible. But um, I think you are right. I think Hal Blaine's influence probably wider than people would give it credit for, because as you say, most people probably don't know his name unless you're deep into obsession about every drummer of all time i think you know john bonham probably <laughs> probably the more overt massive influence but yeah i think it's a shame that hal blade has come up against bottom i mean i think i think we're probably all in agreement here aren't we i think we're probably all going to side with the audience on this one i think what hal blaine has done is he has created one unbelievably iconic drum take right mm. in that bit i mean not just one because obviously you know when you look at the fact that I mentioned him being on Mr. Tambourine Man, Unchained Melody and stuff. and But you don't necessarily think of the drums on those no. songs, right? And you, you shouldn't. Think of, yeah. And That's the thing. Just, yeah, you think of the song. But you do think of just the kind of the everything. You think of the vocal, you think of the production, you think of the drums, you think of the, you know, that kind of click that is on Be My Baby. And that is an incredibly iconic thing. It is ultimately one iconic thing up against the catalogue of quite a lot of iconic things mm. you know john bonham has got you we we could sit here and do a top 10 best john bonham fills and we would still <laughs> probably have you know we we probably have left over yeah loads yeah. left over so i think um and i think we probably all listen to him more so i'm gonna go john bonham yeah me too and i think you two are too right yeah 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 i thought so um it's uh it's a brutal way for Hal Blaine to go out. Yeah. Um, but let's give him the Savage. credit that he very much deserves as a as a as a great drummer, as everybody on this list is. So mm. um John Bonham goes in to the next round. He is there <laughs> and he will play the winner of Speaking of Savage lineups. <laughs> Travis Barker versus <laughs> I can't even not laugh when I say Travis Barker versus Buddy Rich. Now, before we get into this one, I'm going to say that we put this up on uh, on on the Twitter, and it was 46.9% to 53.1% in favour of Buddy Rich over 277 votes. I'm speaking specifically to the 46.9% who voted for Travis Barker. You need to really go and take a very, very, very <laughs> long, hard look in the mirror because I found an interview with Travis Barker where even he says that Buddy Rich is the greatest drummer of all time. So even he wouldn't vote for himself in this this thing. I wanted to put Travis Barker in because, you know, as a contemporary drummer, he is, you know, he's one of, like, I think he said, Ari, like when a, when a drummer becomes like their own man in a lot of ways, which is funny because we kind of got two drummers here who are basically like bigger than you know they, they don't sing they don't play any other instruments they don't really do anything else they are their own men and all they do yeah, is play they've drums they've become they... personalities that's mm. the thing mm. Mm. solely from playing drums I mean obviously Buddy Rich didn't have to marry a Kardashian and, I was going to uh, say it's hard to do when you don't have a personality in terms of Travis Barker so I, oh, I don't know how he's done it got him um, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I mean you know Let's start with Travis Barker then. The bloke from Blink-182 um, 
and every pop punk band of the last sort of 15 years a very good drummer who makes mm. let's be honest here terrible music um <laughs> he's you the best it. thing <laughs> yeah he's the best thing in a in a, a bad, bad band. thing yeah absolutely um aria is travis barker a good in what level is travis barker a good drummer because he get because we're always told how great a drummer is he is, is phenomenal yeah he is right, he's, right. he's 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 absolutely amazing i think he definitely deserves a place on this on this list and for me it's weird sometimes i mean i, I remember i don't want to go on about you know don't want to sound like les mcqueen but you know back in my day it's one of those it's like we did walk tour with the transplants and i would go and watch travis barker play every day you know every day mm. and i'd be like yeah the guy's fucking great he's got his own thing his own style you, t you know it's him when he plays and i think he's influenced you know so many young drummers not just young drummers but just drummers as a whole i mean i have to take my you know i have to take myself away from the music that he makes because i'm not really into it it's not my thing i was never into that style but the way he plays yeah it, it's he, he, play, he has like that marching band thing like a lot of those american kids would, would go to marching band drum line it's like their rudiments would be incredible and you know they'd get that from buddy rich you know i i had two three drum book, books growing up one of them was a buddy rich snare drum rudiment book you know all the rudiments one was a john bonham led zeppelin you know like drum tab and the other one was a uh, calm and a piece realistic rock so i think travis barker was probably reading buddy rich's book getting to where he got so i i just don't unfortunately the competition isn't really there for this one for me but he de deserves to be there as a player and he's definitely influenced so many people yeah i mean the beastie boys didn't say i'm travis barker when i fly off the handle did they <laughs> no they didn't <laughs> no they so didn't. yeah i mean maybe someone will i mean he's got that he plays you know he, he's definitely in that you know hip-hop world loads mm -hmm. of people he plays with all of those guys and like he has that thing i don't know maybe time will tell for him i don't know i just I yeah. you just you can't compete with buddy riches it's you know yeah. he was on the muppets for fuck's sake <laughs> which we will talk about don't you worry which but... we will talk about yeah, i yeah, mean yeah. you know like i say i think it's unusual to have two drummers who are just drummers who have become so well-known pure you know buddy rich is buddy rich you know and travis barker he might he's a member of blink 182 but he's kind of he's he's like the wes ball in the blink 182 he's a member of blink 182 that's kind of okay to like what used to be okay to like before limp biscuit became cool again fine again um and but buddy rich is obviously just i mean i've been watching videos of him recently and it blows your fucking it 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 just still blows my mind. It blows my fucking mind the shit that can that guy can do. And we'll get into Gene Krupa in a bit as well. But like, mm. what he can do while wearing a suit as well. <laughs> that's no. it exactly. That's the style. He was the band leader, wasn't he? You know, and as and as a side man, he played with like Charlie Parker, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. You know, the TV personality. And I think you know he was really one of the first, obviously like Gene Krupa to bring that personality to the forefront and you know travis barker to his credit has done that for drumming you know i think definitely he definitely has I, you know i do feel sorry for him being up against buddy rich because i feel like he probably would have had a in my opinion obviously your your twitter you know followers disagree with me right are they like or was it's it close. Was it four? It's close, it's close yeah, right it, it was close yeah it was close. yeah i think he might have like you know won in another category if you like i just think he he's a victim of just buddy rich 
Uh, I think Steve might have vetoed it if he won in any other category, to be fair. But yeah, um, Travis Barker, I think you're right. I think we'll see kind of how history looks back on him because you're absolutely right, Ari. I think him moving into different territories, you know, doing a lot with hip hop and doing a lot with EDM artists as well. You know, he's broaching a, a sort of a new audience that you maybe wouldn't have assumed that he would would have done when he was performing on Enema of the State, for example. So who knows quite how far that reach will go. But I mean, man, buddy rich, you know the the kind of the talent of the man that influenced the film whiplash as you say on the muppets i mean that video of him on the muppets is fucking unbelievable i'd not seen it before um before we decided we were doing this and i've probably watched it about 10 times since it's absolutely incredible the joy with which he just moves around the the muppets set and you know just playing rudiments on everything little paradiddles across pots and pans and wardrobes and as he says when i play a theater i play the whole theater then having a drum battle with animal it's and making it look so effortless as well even though what he's playing is just unbelievably unbelievably complicated i mean yeah absolutely amazing and then you get a song like i mean it's the it's the centerpiece of the film whiplash so i would say it's probably the buddy rich piece that i know best but caravan um to be able to move from serving the song into those incredible solo sections, I mean, yeah, absolutely no contest for me. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's obviously Buddy Rich. Yeah, it is, I think. I mean, you know, one of them worked with... Tom DeLong, Frank Sinatra and the other one worked with James Arthur. I think it's... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pretty cut and dry, this, yeah, to probably. be honest, to be fair. And, you know, you can go like, oh, you're being snobby about Travis Barker and blah, 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 because you don't like Blink-182. I mean, even he, he if He is that... a very good drummer. He, yeah. he's, he's just up against arguably the best ever. Yeah. Even yeah, that's if that's it. true, you know, you're... Yeah, I mean, Buddy Rich, again, like we said with Bonham, got to be one of the very, very hottest favourites to mm-hmm. take this entire thing, I would have thought, right? Yeah, would have thought so. Yeah, easy, easy stuff. So Buddy Rich uh, waltzes through to the next round um, to face off <laughs> against John Bonham. Oh, God. Oh, so cruel. Yeah. Cruel. I it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> mm. So let's talk about Neil Pert versus Mitch Mitchell. Um, let's start with Neil Pert. Mm. Um, I watched his uh drum solo on Letterman. I mean, I'm not a massive Rush fan. Ari, are you a ah. massive Rush fan? I'm not, no. Um, they completely passed me by, if I'm com- being completely honest. I didn't know any of their songs, and they did what they I think they used their music on a film that I watched, and I was like, oh, that's Rush, or it was on Guitar Hero. That's, yeah. I, I mean. I'd always heard the name and the, I'd always thought of them as a, in my head being a little kid as a shit Genesis, but that is not the case at all. I know, I know, I know. But like that, that's how it was when I was younger. It was, you know, the, the, the proggy pop thing. And yeah. I love Genesis and Rush and just, I just never heard a song and disliked them for some reason. It was one of those things when you're younger, you, 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 you've drawn your line. You were like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not into that for some reason. And now I'm like, yeah, what a fool. <laughs> Yeah, it's go on, Sam. You're a big fan deep. of Rush, aren't you? I am. I'm going to be the voice of reason on this one because I am a massive Rush fan. I think they are one of the greatest bands. Uh, certainly, certainly in prog, but I would say just generally one of the greatest bands to have ever walked the face of the planet Earth. I'm gutted. I never got to see them because obviously uh, Neil Peart is no longer with us. Um, I almost went to the Clockwork Angels tour when it came to the UK and I was put off by the price and I wish I'd just bit the bullet and done it. So gutted. But um, yeah, absolutely adore Rush. And I think it is... Uh, 
as amazing as Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee are, even they would bow down to the fact that it was Neil Peart. He was the soul of the band. Um, he was everything, not just the percussionist, but the lyricist. Um, d- took a lot of the sort of direction for the aesthetic they were going to take in their different eras. I mean, obviously you've got early Rush, which is very much, I, I think you're, you're, maybe not in terms of like pop genesis, but you're right, Aria, in that it is quite sort of, relatively palatable prog certainly by today's standards i mean it was certainly excessive and mental when you get to 2112 but they did do that but then they moved into their electronic period and he kind of spearheaded that sorry you go for no 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 i was gonna say i mean i feel bad because i don't know enough about rush and i feel like when i hear them now i'm like yeah of course i love this this is great and i can recognize how great neil as a drummer is was or you know i i just i'm not educated enough in the band that's where i am with it you know what i mean so it was one of those things especially touring america i mean rush when we would tour america it was was, everyone was into rush and i just didn't it i never went you know i've got to check that out for some reason it's like you know i feel like i should have done because every time i talk to people about them who are into them Mm. i don't think you're just into rush they're not one you're like you bow down like you say you're just totally engrossed in everything they do and the guy who produced our last record he would listen to rush that was his favorite band of all time it was his fucking ringtone on his phone his screensaver and he was like going you have just missed the boat you need to get into this and so i that's something i just need to do because everyone rates them as this amazing band and i just it just passed me by unfortunately that's totally fair play, man. I mean, I would say with Rush, I think the stumbling block for a lot of people is Geddy Lee's voice. It is that histrionic classic prog thing that you would expect. If that is an issue, I would say start from um, Vapor Trails in 2002 because his voice gets into a slightly lower register. And actually, that is uh, one of the moments that I really want to talk about in terms of my massive, massive admiration for Neil Peart because, again, he's one who can blend technicality with compositional nous, knowing how to serve a song and actually bringing groove and feel into it. And there's a great uh, documentary on Rush um, called Beyond the Lighted Stage. It's basically their kind of kind of the, the entire story of Rush up to, I think it's up to about 2007. I think it might be the Snakes and Arrows tour. Yeah, yeah, um, it is around that, yeah. But there's a brilliant bit where in 1994, he became friends with um, a, a jazz instructor and he became the pupil of this jazz instructor, a guy called Freddie Gruber. And there's this beautiful bit where the two of them are talking about the art of playing drums. And um, Neil Peart very much comes from the sort of Keith Moon, Ginger Baker school with a little bit of Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa thrown in as they get into the kind of mid period of Rush. And then when he meets Freddie Gruber, they talk about how you should approach percussion like dance, where it's not about the impact that's made, but it's about the fluidity of the movements between it. And the fact that someone who was already being called one of the greatest drummers of all time is ready to throw out his technique and learn something completely new. I think that is the mark of an absolutely incredible musician. And I did look up and I, I literally just looking at his wiki page. The following, he got so many awards from Modern Drummers Readers Poll. So he was the best rock drummer of 1980, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 2006, 2008. Um, Best drum recording on basically every album that Rush released from Permanent Waves up until Clockwork Angels. Like there are so many awards just that the readers of that magazine gave him. It's like, yeah, he he's definitely um, an absolute, just one of the best. Steve, how do you feel about Neil Perk? Because as you've said, you're not really that into Rush. I feel like I can play the kind of middle ground a little bit here mm-hmm. because I 
do quite like Rush. There is some okay. Rush stuff that I like. It's just they've got so many albums and there's a lot of albums that I haven't heard. I do like the kind of moving pictures, permanent waves era, you know, Tom Sawyer, um, uh, Spirit of the Radio, all that stuff. I really, really love that. Um, 2112, I have got and I admire, again, you know, that is Neil Peart's vision. You know, mm. that is all of his stuff. Um, and it was absolutely shit or bust as well because they were basically being threatened with being dropped by the label and they were like, well, fuck it, we're going to stick to our guns and release a 23-minute first single that is the entire A-side of our album. And it paid off for them. I think it's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, and, you know, and Neil Peart is obviously fucking, like, an incred- technically incredible, able to do loads and loads and loads of different, you know, styles and feels and, uh, like, can can do that kind of Danny Carey thing, but also has the brain and the, the, the sort of artistic nous to, to dream up these long conceptual pieces, but then also can just ride on a really fucking meaty groove, like on Tom Sawyer or whatever, which mm-hmm. I think is a great little, that kind of like, you know, halftime, like just that is like that really kind of slightly, slightly funky thing that he does on that. He's obviously brilliant. I also watched his 2015 or 16, 2015, I think it was, um, drum solo that he did on Letterman, which, again, so creative. Like, I'm not particularly one for drum solos particularly, mm. as we might get into here and there, but it was just so, so creative. Like, I'm not the biggest Rush fan, but I think Neil Peart is just phenomenally talented. See, I agree with you talented. there. I, mm. I completely agree with you. I just don't think I know enough. When I, I've seen that drum mm. solo as well, and there's, you know, he would have his kit set up in these in this amazing way. So I'm, I'm, I totally get it. I just feel like I'm not the authority to talk about some of the songs you're referencing and some of the stuff. You know, I feel guilty as a drummer. I should be, but you know, well, can't that's win fine. Them all. That's fine. I mean, we should just obviously talk about Mitch Mitchell as well oh, because. Yeah. This is, I mean, obviously, because it's those two together. I think it's a hard. I think it's a hard one, right? Because Mitch Mitchell, it's kind of weird to me that he and he and Noel Redding, I don't think get anywhere near enough credit for being potentially one of the greatest rhythm sections in the history of any type of music ever. Mm. Fucking amazing. And the reason they don't get that is because <laughs> the the other bloke yeah, is yeah. is the great is the greatest guitarist of all time. Do you know what I mean? So the Jimi Hendrix experience as a trio are basically as perfect a three three people together making music i think as you can possibly get and mitch mitchell like you said about john bonham aria like the amount of people who have borrowed and stolen from and adapted and have tried to sound like mitch mitchell in rock music over the years is massive and he was doing it before John Bonham. Was he more influential than John Bonham? Quite hard to say. I mean, you know, he hated rock music, apparently, Mitch Mitchell. He was a jazz yeah, he, drummer. He, he, was yeah. like, he was a mm, snob yeah. as well. He was a real snob yeah. about it. He, he mm. Totally into jazz. I know that Brad Wilk, he, he was a massive influence on Brad Wilk, who I love, mm. you know. And when you hear some of that, that swing, and that's that that feel thing, you know. And drummers always yeah. talk about the swing and you can't, can't teach that i think that's like that's the heartbeat of playing the drums that's the thing that everyone looks for that swing and with mitch mitchell and any kind of i okay using rush as an example i feel like things i have heard it's straight ahead you're you're in the song you're grooving and say you know you pointed out little bits where you know there's like that hip-hoppy type groove where she would come in i'm not familiar with it but i know 
when I listen to Mitch Mitchell, it's just that swing. It's this, and, and Bonham had it. And, you know, that those kind of players, I feel, I, I mean, they're victims of the style of music they play as well, obviously, you know, and you couldn't put Neil Peart in, you know, the Jimi Hendrix experience. It, it, in my opinion, it just wouldn't work. These guys have made this music because it's the, it's it's inside them. They didn't have to learn anything. And obviously with Neil Peart, it's, I didn't realise he was such a brainchild of it all lyrically. I mean, he's going to approach the drums, his parts in a completely different way to most other drummers if he's the lyric writer. You know, he's probably, you know, using every drummer as a voice where he wants the words to sit. He's going to have that unique perspective of where he's going to put the groove. You know, it's really interesting. It is interesting. I mean, I think it also, it, this would be a lot easier for me if Mitch Mitchell also didn't write, wasn't a, you know, a credited songwriter with the Jimi Hendrix experience as well. You know, you could go on well, Neil Peart, you know, not only is he te- technically quote unquote better or, or, or broader or able to do these things that maybe Mitch Mitchell couldn't or didn't want to do back then, but he also constructed everything from Rush. Well, you go, well, Mitch Mitchell wrote some of the most fucking famous guitar songs that you're ever, ever likely to come across. So, you know, this is a hard one. Um, the People's Vote was not as close as you would have imagined. Um, 79.6% went for Neil Pert. 20.4% went for Mitch Mitchell. Um, Sam, I assume you're going to go for Neil Pert? I am going to go for Neil Pert, as I have just waxed lyrical for quite a long time about him. But um, that is not to say that Mitch Mitchell's... Um, ability was not you know not absolutely incredible i mean like you say a jazz drummer and the way he was able to bring that jazz technicality into the ferocity that Jimi hendrix experience needed at the time i mean on axis boldest love his performance obviously the whole thing is absolutely amazing across Mm -hmm. that album he is fantastic but for me it it is neil per i think and i think kind of picking up on the fact that mitch mitchell was a jazz drummer who kind of maybe looked down on the genre that he helped kind of pioneer in a way. I mean, there's another drummer who very much feels the same way that we're talking about later, but then you've got the flip side of that where Neil Peart is constantly looking to develop and expand into other genres and kind of take from other things and, and learn from different experiences. I mean, to me, he's, he's the whole package in terms of an amazing percussionist. So yeah, I am going to go with Neil Peart, but not, not to say that I don't also adore Mitch Mitchell. Okay. Uh, yes, would have been fine, but whatever. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd say anything about him. You know, uh, no, no, that's fine. Um, I assume Aria, you're going to go for Mitch Mitchell. I am, yeah. I mean, at this point, it sort of it becomes a bit more of a popularity contest in my own in my own musical journey. So I just that's just the way it is. I identify more with his musical output, and you know that's that's the only way you can really judge this stuff really i mean if, it, if we're talking about a technical side of things i probably think neil pert was a more technical drummer you know mm. just looking at it but i don't know about i think mitch mitchell's feel is un you know unrivaled mm. unparalleled yeah now i definitely like the jimmy hendrix experience more than i like rush definitely but then rush have a lot more albums that i'm not really familiar with as opposed to the kind of the quite tiny amount of stuff we got from the Jimi Hendrix experience um and I probably would want Mitch Mitchell to go through but I think because the Twitter poll and I've been so mean about them before (laughs) so um adamant that it was Neil Peart because you see Neil Peart for a particular type of for a particular brand of hard rock 
he is the guy. I mean, we can t- when we talk about Mitch Mitchell, we will talk about Ginger Baker in a bit. We've already spoken about John Bonham. We could chuck in people like, I don't know, Ian Pace or, you know, there are a lot of people that we could potentially also throw in alongside Mitch Mitchell. We're going to, again, you know, we're going to talk about Bill Warden in a bit. Um, and we're about to talk about Charlie Watts. You know, there are a lot of other people that I think are maybe comparable to him, at least in terms of sort of style of music that they were making. And I think he maybe, he probably influenced all of them, but uh, it's a horrible one. But I, I'm going to let, I'm going to I'm gonna put Neil Pert through. You annoyed at that, are you? I'm not annoyed at it because... Because you're a grown totally up, respect. that's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could get annoyed later on. I don't know, <laughs> but I, you know, I when I saw that he was on this, I was like, okay, I know everyone loves him. It, it, you know, it's and I just don't know enough about it. It's not like Travis Barker, where I know most of his recorded output, and it's not for me. It's like with Neil Peart, like I couldn't tell you. I just know that everyone loves him. You know, I talk to every drummer; they're always like, "Yeah, he's fucking great." So it, it's not a shock to me that he's gone through. Fair. Okay. Right. Well, we're going to move on to Mike Portnoy versus Charlie Watts. So, uh, Mike Portnoy. Let's start with Mike Portnoy. Now, a bit like, I mean, probably even less so than Rush. I'm not a massive Dream Theater fan. And I know he's not been in a band for quite a long time, but I'm not a massive Dream Theater fan. Although, a bit like Neil Peart, I do think Mike Portnoy is quite good. Again, a founder of that band, a figurehead for that band, um, the kind of the person who drove the artistic vision of Dream Theatre and whether you enjoy their music or not, you have to say they're an impressive an impressive band, aren't they? They are an impressive band. He was the driving um, force, right? It was his band and... Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. More yeah. than just the drummer, he was in it. You know, he wasn't just playing drum parts he was help creating so yeah uh you were dream into dream theater at all um, i'm not actually no no um surprisingly no um don't no i i'm i've listened to them i've seen them play loads if i'm being honest i'd rather i'd, I'd rather watch them with mike mangini oh you know yeah Ooh, I, hot I, take i know i know um I, i've seen you know i like mike mangini i saw him play with extreme and I love Extreme, and I thought he was fucking great. He sets up really weird. He does really weird stuff. He's probably the most technical drummer I've ever seen play. So I thought Dream Theater with Mike Bangini. I thought he was brilliant. I remember that audition tapes they did when they were auditioning drummers when Mike Portnoy left. I was like, wow, this guy's really different to Portnoy. I know we're not talking about Mangini, but I was more excited about watching them with yeah with Mike Mangini over you know <laughs> Mike Portnoy. Well, congratulations, wow. Charlie Watts. It's a landslide. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Sam. Charlie Watts' house as well. So he gets oh, right, it. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about him in a sec. Sam, quickly on, on Mike Portnoy. Uh, very, very impressive drummer. But for me, Dream Theatre are the ultimate in kind of um, technicality without any kind of feel. I find Dream Theatre's music incredibly dull and also fronted by one of the worst vocalists of all time. So that doesn't help either. Yeah, well, don't bring him into it. We're not doing the word. I wasn't sure where you were going to go, to be honest. I was like, are you going to be like really into this or really hate it? I'm sort of, yeah. Dream Theater have no soul to me at all. There is no groove and no feel. And I know that there'll be Dream Theater fans balking at that. But no, you listen to something like The Dance of Eternity. It's like this nine minute epic. It goes through so many movements and I never feel anything. Um, Mike Portnoy is very good at what he does. I don't like it. 
yeah i kind of broadly feel a little bit there are some dream theater albums that i that i quite like i've spoken mm-hmm. about you know metropolis 2 scenes from a memory i think the one that people always go that's not even a good what the the is it the last one or the second to last one that he was on um but it feels like much more of a kind of a, a poppier i forgot what it's called now um but it's the one that first one that came out on roadrunner you, you you if you're a dream theater fan you know what i'm talking about the one with um the one with uh i, I can't remember the song anymore that's how big a dream theater fan i, am. <laughs> I can't even remember i can't even remember the songs i like by them but um <laughs> this no. is gonna sound weird but like when i watch drummers play one of the things that i can't stand is when they make it look like it's the most hard it makes the instrument look hard to play and mike portnoy does that he looks stiff when he plays it's weird there i've said right. it <laughs> Okay. It makes me feel uncomfortable as a player. And there is a few of those guys out there that fucking shred and are amazing. But when I look at them, I'm like, it doesn't look like it's easy. It looks hard. Just doesn't feel like loose. And he's one of them. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on from Mike Portnoy. Cause he is good. He's a, he's a good, oh, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. He's getting he, a kick in, isn't he? He's getting a kick in. Um, Charlie Watts. I mean, for so, so, so many years, a man considered the quintessential consistent backbeat of hard rock for the biggest rock band in the world. Um, I know there will be people screaming at this podcast going, what are you doing? Mark? Mike Portnoy is, is technically a far, far better than Charlie. Charlie but Watts. he's not in the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's it. Unlucky Portnoy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest. I'm quite surprised that the Twitter poll uh, has gone 64.1% to 35.9% in favour of Mike Portnoy. I'm I'm quite surprised. Yeah, I'm a little bit shocked by that as well. Because to me, I mean, they're both... These are... They they are... This is, to me, the the most polar opposite thing we're going to get. You've got you know pure kind of sim- simplistic feel with charlie watts but like but when you know the last song i listened to before we started recording was gimme shelter oh. and which is it just never gets old and his his everything he does on that just sounds like every single second of that is like you know a fucking three michelin star meal that <laughs> song isn't it? it's just so perfect and his just what he does just so simple but it just sounds fucking brilliant and i've never heard mike portnoy do anything that makes me feel like that similarly for me it would be the groove that he brings to something like sympathy for the devil i think i think the re i i would be less surprised that portnoy got the kind of uh the twitter vote because as you say he is so in your face in terms of how integral he is to the band he's a part of i think charlie watts is happy to kind of play the role of the of the backbeat i suppose because you've got jagger and richards up the front and he was happy to just keep everything locked down but i think he's the reason that you can't replicate the stones i think he brings so much so much a passionate groove to it that just there are very few drummers who can touch him in terms of that and i'm not even the biggest rolling stones fan uh, not because i dislike them i just haven't really spent loads of time with them but his percussion has always stood out to me as a real really high point and a unique point of their sound i couldn't agree more i think uh you know it's him when he plays the drums and i think i mean a lot of these guys i think will also you know the older drummers where studio trickery wasn't around i think you know they, these older drummers you know they had the kit sometimes there was one mic 
you know <laughs> so it's and the way they sound you know is it's become iconic but if you were to record them now who knows i don't know but there's a whole thing about drum production where you know some guys and some bands i just don't like the sound of their records and that's you know that's a taste thing and you know like i say mike, mike portnoy might be one of those guys where i'm like not really into the sound of how you play whereas charlie watts i think he you know he contributes to gimme shelter in that way that no one else probably could mm. yeah i'm gonna overrule the twitter uh I, i'm gonna go for charlie watts well so am i yeah me too okay fine so Charlie Watts will go through to the next round. Sorry, all you prog metal nerds, but your your god went through in the last round. So we couldn't have Portnoy against Pert. What's the point of that? Oh, what would be yeah. the point of that? Absolutely pointless. Um, here we have one, one that Metalheads went absolutely mental about, and it is a stinker, to be mm. fair. An absolute stinker. Dave Lombardo versus Bill Ward. I mean, Dave Lombardo is just... Is Dave Lombardo the when you think of like a metal drummer, is it, he's it kind of feels like the definitive he's metal drummer. His own thing. He's Dave Lombardo. He's his own mm. thing. He's a total bad man. He plays in a Hawaiian shirt, in a cap. He doesn't look like he's in a metal band. He's just a bad man, and he's done things on the drums that no one else could at the time or even think about. I think he's incredible, and not just with Slayer, but everything he touches, he's you know. He was playing for the Misfits, right? I didn't get, mm-hmm. I didn't see that. I, I mean, I, I was like, that is going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm a big Dave Lombardo fan. So, I mean, Dave Lombardo, I interviewed uh, last year. Um, I did a kind of big interview with him for Metal Hammer, and we we talked about. I've never been. I've never gone. What's Mike Patton like? What's John Zorn like? What's Glenn Danzig like? Do you know what I mean? Like, and you go, oh, you go through all the people that he's, you know, apparently Miles Davis said dave lombardo was a great drummer he did he did That's incredible. yeah his miles davis's uh kid was watching mtv and apparently seasons in the abyss video was on mtv and miles davis walked in and went that drummer's great and i mean hard to argue against him he is brilliant and i think seasons in the abyss is a really interesting one to bring in because when you think of dave lombardo's drumming you do think of slayer and when you think of slayer you think of angel of death or anything else off raining blood don't you but i think the fact that he can pair it back not often but when he needs to he can sort of dial it back a bit for something like seasons in the abyss i think he's a really accomplished drummer who i mean he doesn't even get mischaracterized as just blast beats i think everyone knows that he's absolutely fucking brilliant and the fact that well in um a fortnight from now he's going to be playing the underworld as part of empire state bastard it's like he's also a drummer who just does what he loves when he wants to i think dave lombard is a fucking lad suicidal tendencies mm. fucking dead he's a nice man as well nice guy i've met him a bunch of times mm. he's cool as fuck you know yeah just loves yeah. music everyone's a lombardo fan and bill ward wow yeah, yeah i mean i imagine if dave lombardo were here he would probably be going, well, I can't be ahead of Bill Ward because Bill Ward is the guy who's invented so many of these. This He is so quintessential to everything we hold dear. And I tell you what, those Black Sabbath albums mm. would sound very different without Bill Ward. He's got an incredible feel. Once mm. again, it's like a jazzy, like, sits behind. It's really, yeah. I mean, I've seen Black Sabbath with the new guy, right? It's different. It's great, but it's different. You know, it's Bill Ward brought this sort of sleazy, 
he's almost you know sitting back on the kit he's not charging forward I, I mean I like that kind of feel and I don't it's really hard to replicate when that's not inside you and as a drummer yeah you can play the songs and learn the parts but that internal clock is always going to be different so especially bands that don't play to click life mm-hmm. they, you know that's a it's a different argument I don't think um I don't I don't think Slayer play to any click I think they're just totally raw as fuck Lombardo you know so and it's a completely different animal to me yeah yeah i mean both of these two are like as fucking metal fans these two are as close to kind of iconic as you could possibly imagine from this genre i can't really think of two more i mean uh, i mean you mentioned vinnie paul <laughs> doesn't know some i'd say nico, nico mcbrain i know you don't like maiden but he is an iconic drummer in terms of that kind of single kick pedal thing bringing it into like new wave of british heavy metal he is sorry Steve. lars lars as well lars i think you know I was surprised uh, yeah. Lars wasn't on here. That's another one. I kind well, of was, but I think it would have been very, very easy for him to get a shout out. I think massively influential, but kind of best. I don't know. I suppose that's he's divisive, isn't he? He is divisive, but I th- some of the techniques he brought in very, very important. Me, for me, Bill Ward. It might come down more to a production thing, but I love hearing the Tom fills he'd do on something like Children of the Grave, where you can hear the clattering against it. And you're right, it does have that laid back approach. Uh, Bill Ward is. They, these are surely though. They, you're right, Steve. They are the two most iconic metal drummers. Surely. Mm. Do you want to know what the Twitter said? Over 285 <sighs> votes. Lombardo, 68.1 percent. Bill Ward, 31.9 percent. So Lombardo, two thirds of the vote. You know, more than pretty much. Would there um, be? Would there be a Lombardo if there wasn't a Bill Ward? Mm. And well, I, it's true. I, I'm like, I mean, if it's if it's about a technical ability, then Lombardo gets it, you know. But it's not about that. It's emotive. There are way those songs hit you. It's it's really hard. Again, who would you go for, Aria? Personally, oh. it would probably be Lombardo. Me too. Yeah, I just I, I just think he um. I don't think Bill Ward's playing was revolutionary. That's the thing. And I think Lombardo's was at the time. I think the breadth of Lombardo's catalogue over so many decades. I mean, I've got Bill Ward's um, entire discography up in front of me here, right? The Bill Ward band and with Days of Errors and stuff like that that he he did, you know, solo albums and stuff. You're really looking at those first six Black Sabbath albums, Heaven and Hell. Uh, and that that is you know he's always going to be the man who drummed for the first ever metal band dave lombardo has done shit that most people just just could not even fathom doing it's weird because he's so like you say we so associate him with slayer but he's done so much other stuff that it's just and for years and years and years and decades just doing you know he's doing this solo album which is the fucking drum solo of an album you know he's still experimenting he's still you know pushed himself forward for me yeah it, it kind of has to be lombardo even though bill ward is incredibly important yeah same love bill ward's work but it's got to be lombardo for me that is a landslide yes it does that is a landslide <laughs> um so we've got aria's pick in this next tie um, we've got your pick, Aria. It is Jimmy Chamberlain, which is not your pick, versus Roger Taylor from Queen. Who is your pick? Um, 
let's quickly just chat about Jimmy Chamberlain because I put Jimmy Chamberlain in here because I looked at it and I thought, well, what I sort of tried to do when I was putting this list together was at least kind of touch on as many genre touchstones as possible. And I thought it was going to come down to basically Matt Cameron, who I didn't think had as much of a an influence or as much of a... Um, probably yeah, must have influence, but it didn't have as big a no, not as many people talk about him as they do about jimmy chamberlain i feel like people really really love jimmy chamberlain and from that kind of grunge scene that 90s alternative rock thing i felt like he kind of had to be in here um and it's kind of weird that he has his reputation because he's only really you know he's done he's actually done quite a lot of smashing pumpkins albums but not many that you would care that much about so um the first three and then machina machines of god one and two comes back for zeitgeist goes away again comes back for shiny and oh so bright and seer which is a dread you know a dreadful record shiny and oh so bright is great and he's probably the best thing on it for the isn't great but he's probably the best thing on it um but he's got something where you know you definitely know it's jimmy chamberlain in those first few pumpkins albums right yeah and i i think he's definitely unique definitely his parts are unique he sounds different he doesn't sound he didn't sound like everyone else at the time it's really hard he was part he's part of why the pumpkins were able to shine like they did i really believe that i don't think he was just playing a role as the drummer i think it was i was a massive massive jimmy chamberlain fan yeah i mean he played differently his parts were differently i think if some of those okay we're going to talk about him later but if Grohl was to play some of those pumpkins tunes he'd be crashing through stuff i mean it would all be massive whereas yeah. jimmy chamberlain would articulate on the ride so you have this like shimmer to parts that were so you could imagine as a drummer playing those, some of those pumpkins tunes and playing really hard and just blasting through them but i think he brought something else to it you know it sounded delicate i think when he played kept it heavy but still delicate that's unique i think for those records Sam, any thoughts on Jimmy Chamberlain? I think for me, Jimmy Chamberlain's strength is similar to Mitch Mitchell's, where he's taking a jazz influence and kind of modernising it into more of a rock framework. I mean, he is obviously absolutely fantastic. And when you think about something like Cherub Rock, where it is so, so layered, I mean, it's what, like 30 tracks of guitars? And the fact that his percussion sits at the back and yet carries it all, carries all that heft, um, he's massively, massively impressive, definitely. Yeah, he's great. He, um, I mean, Cherry Rock's a great one. I mean, that just his rhythm and on, on that just just rides. And I think yeah. you know he's really him and Billy Corgan were you know at this point were the Smashing Pumpkins. Corgan does everything apart from the drums, mm. so he's like the only person in the world that Jimmy um, that uh, that Billy Corgan had any trust in whatsoever, <laughs> which is you know fucking hilarious. You know, like just. Um, He's great. He is great. Uh, but he's up against your one of your heroes, Aria, Roger Taylor. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't stand a chance, unfortunately, against Roger. I mean... <laughs> oh, doesn't he? Oh, maybe Steve, yeah, Steve will have something Total to say bad, man. <laughs> um, I mean, look, Queen are my favourite band. So, as I said at the beginning, you, you know, when I was growing up, I, my favourite drummers were in my favourite band. And I feel like I can go back to Roger Taylor and those early Queen records and just see how musical he was as a player. And like you were saying, you know, about those other guys that were writers, he sang, he could, you know, played all the instruments, he wrote some of the biggest songs for the band. And when he was playing, you can see, you know, how he thought about the drums as part of that, you know? I don't think he ever overthought, ever, ever overplayed unless it was necessary. You know, I, I went to see them recently and 
you know, I know it's a different animal now, but there's that bit in Fat Bottom Girls where he just does this ripping solo across, like Phil across the toms. It's like, like this time again. So cool. There's nothing in that song apart from that drum fill and a kick drum. You know what I mean? Just boot, and I'm like, so cool. Goes with the vocals. Knows when, to, knows when to play. Knows when not to play. You know, yeah, I couldn't say enough about him really. And also, he's one of those guys I think that. As we were saying, you know it's him when he plays. He does this, you know, that I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this hi-hat sizzle. When he plays the snare drum with the backbeat, he's emphasizing like a hi-hat opening with every snare beat. Mm-hmm. So it gives it gives the backbeat a different placement. Mm-hmm. And you know, you shouldn't notice it as a listener. That's the whole point of it. But when you break it down to what he's doing, he'd play a basic four-four beat, but he would sizzle with that hi-hat and snare on the two, and it's like Oh, it gives it this nice feel. I think he's great. I absolutely love Roger Taylor as percussionist as well. I think the fact that he can go from something, um, I mean, I wasn't aware of that hi-hat sizzle, but to go from something as kind of locked in and just basic 4-4 as like another one bites the dust and then be able to go for that mad grandeur that matches something like Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, incredible. And you're absolutely right in terms of um, as a songwriter generally and as a vocalist. I mean, if you weren't in a band with the greatest vocalist perhaps ever, apart from Mike Patton, um, Roger Taylor probably could have been a front man of his own band, but, you know, he's playing down to Freddie Mercury, isn't he? Or playing behind Freddie Mercury, I should say. Yeah, he's he's pretty fucking good. And I, I think by virtue of the other three members of the band, maybe doesn't get as much credit as he should for being absolutely amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely, on, on Roger, for, in, in terms of Roger Taylor, um, he writes, again, he is a huge part of the band. I would say, like, this is what I think this this is going to come down to for me, and I'm going to kind of shoot my, um, you know, my poison my arrow opinion straight. Yeah, shoot my poison arrow through your heart yeah. uh, straight away. I think Jimmy Chamberlain is a fucking brilliant drummer with, and 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 makes a lot out of quite, you know, the little tiny amount of responsibility that he was given, which is like this <laughs> this dictator in this band going, this is a song. You lot fuck off. I'll, I'm playing it all. I'm singing it all. But I'll let the drummer do some stuff as well. And he makes so much out of that little tiny bit of responsibility that he has that he's become, you know, such a beloved drummer. And Smashing Pumpkins are not the same when he's not there. But Roger Taylor is a huge part in terms of the way that the, 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 the in, integral to the entire sound. I think the Smashing Pumpkins have proved that without Jimmy Chamberlain, they can, they're not as good, but they still basically are the Smashing Pumpkins. I think, I mean, like, you know, you sort of mentioned it, Aria, but there is an argument to go, is Queen Queen now without Freddie? Like, I'm not really sure. But when those four men that were Queen were Queen, you needed every single element to go together. And I think even though Freddie Mercury is the undoubted genius of that band, every element, the best bits of Queen, the very, very best of Queen, that one classic queen classic queen you need all those four men all firing all cinders at once and i think you get roger taylor doing that more and with more consistency and just by going doom doom like i mean i know it's apparently freddie Mercury came up with that but he's the guy who plays it and for, i mean that might be the most iconic drum beat ever so we can't kick him out. Can we kick him out? No, he's not being kicked out. I mean, this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in the 70s, like he had all of the chops. 
and he would rip live rip so it's like a lot of people would give him a hard time and go they'd listen to i don't know it's a kind of magic in the 80s and he's there just playing the drums that he wrote that tune you know mm. he, and i think that the fact that they could put egos aside and that the song rule i think that was always the most attractive thing about queen to me because you'd have these you know any documentary you watch about queen they always say you know you had four different guys that wrote four you know completely different songs that come together and freddie would sing the other guy's songs you know yeah john deacon play you know writing another one bites the dust or i want to break free and roger taylor writing radio gaga you know it's a kind of magic but as the drummer he doesn't go well this is my song i'm gonna sing it he lets the singer do it and he just sits and keeps that whatever was necessary to get his song to the top and i think that's really special well it was tight it was Jimmy Chamberlain, 52.1%. Roger Taylor, 47.9%. This is our Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But we are. I think we're going to go against... Well, I know me and Aria are obviously going against the will of the people. The uh, We'll be on the front <laughs> the of the Daily song, Mail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but Sam, have your vote regardless. Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor. All right, Easy. fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, Ginger Baker versus my wildcard pick, John Stania. So let's start with Ginger Baker. Aria, before we started recording, you said to me, um, wait until we get to Ginger Baker. And now we're here. I am fascinated to know what you're going to say about Ginger Baker. Well, he's one of those people that, because I know he was a bit of a bit of an arsehole it makes me mm. dislike him <laughs> like his player <laughs> i don't know i just i watched the the documentary about him i mean there's no doubt everyone on this list is incredible at what they do i don't have to bang on about that they're here for a reason he's an incredible drummer he was doing things you know <laughs> that no one else had done before set you know the two kick drum thing was very rare at that time you know he was a jazzer as well you know we keep going back to those guys of that era who played jazz and were snobs about rock music but he was incredible I just, I can't help that I don't like him as a person. Mm. He's just mean and horrible, or was. And I'm like, and Helmet, I love. I saw this and I was like, wow, okay. You know, we'll go into John Stania, but like with Ginger Baker, I just can't, I feel weird giving him props because he's a bit of a cunt. Well, if it makes it easier to give him props, he wasn't even the biggest twat in Cream because obviously Clapton was there, the daft racist. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, there we go. That's what we're working with. So <laughs> that's how low the bar is for Ginger Baker being a good. Look, he's a right cunt, Ginger Baker. I've yeah, watched that yeah. documentary. He's a, he seems like a really horrible man. He doesn't really seem to like. I don't really know what he likes. I mean, again, you know, he. I think it's interesting things about Jimmy um, about uh, Jimmy Chamberlain about Ginger Baker going out to Africa, going out, you know, to kind of play with Tony Allen in the seventies and all that stuff. Like, and you watch really cool. And I watched his thirteen-minute long. Which is a bit long drum solo that he did at the Royal Albert Hall Cream reunion show, which was only you know about fifteen years ago or so now, and like he's an old dude at this point, and it, it was absolutely amazing. And there's something that you know I don't like drum solos, but it was magnetic. And there's something about the way that he starts quite slow, and then builds to a, and gets to a place where. It's it's almost like violence. It's almost like, and it's almost like a you feel like you're being personally assaulted by this man from the way that he plays the drums. 
but he never seems to lose i mean sometimes it's just like bah, bah. there's one that we'll talk about in a bit where i'm just like a few of the things i saw where i was just like you're just hitting that and just trying to and it's a bit kind of angular and weird i'm not sure i didn't really ever feel like with ginger baker or we, even though it was just an attack it also felt musical as well i think that's really really hard to do he is amazing he's an amazing drummer obviously like you say you don't have to keep saying it um i liked how um you know he wouldn't play obvious things you know like he was very tribal he would use the toms as you know as part of the backbeat which i don't think many people were doing back then you know not hitting not coming in on the snares giving that backbeat he was using the toms a lot and yeah i i, it's, I think because I don't know that much about Cream that much either. I know the hits and I never really delved in there too much. And so I'd be getting all of my information about Ginger Baker, you know, in retrospect, I guess, you know, and I wasn't listening to the, in my formative years, I wasn't listening to that, those tunes. I'd go back and go, okay, it's fucking great. And watching old videos and stuff like you say, I used to like when he used to play with a fag out of his mouth. I always thought I was pretty cool. I mean, I'm not an advocate for smoking, but he did look cool. <laughs> yeah. he did look cool i mean that was from a jazz background though i remember seeing him talk about that all those jazzers were puffing away on fags while they were playing and it just was part and part of how they played and you know he was doing that in rock music and you look back at those things and i think he was he was pretty snobby about rock music though wasn't he He wasn't he was horrible about it and it was like i think because he was so mean about things i really loved i was like nah Yeah, totally... he, was, he was. He hated it. Yeah, but go on, sorry, go on, Sam. What do you reckon, Ginger Baker? Well, no, I was going to say, I, I completely agree. I think he was a really unpleasant individual, and yeah, the fact that he was so influential to so many rock and metal drummers. I mean, like Neil Peart would talk about how much he absolutely adored him, and yeah, he would turn his nose up at those people, which I think is obviously really horrible. But you know, devil's advocate, I think we wouldn't turn. You know, we wouldn't be mean about Mike Patton when he says that he hates the influence that Faith No More had on New Metal. For example, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry, but for example. I do think that Ginger Baker's strength in terms of his playing, like you say, Steve, there's that aggression. I think there's something primal, but also really inventive about the way he plays. I think he is very, very clearly incredible. John Stania, I'm n- I don't know loads about Helmet. To be honest, this is one of those rounds where I don't have much of a dog in this fight. I think the beauty of his percussion is that it helps bring those riffs alive where they could be really sludgy and really dense. I think he breathes a little bit of life into them to keep them from becoming too oppressive. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons they're one of the kind of the definitive 90s sort of proto stroke fully in alt metal bands. I'm going to let you two wax lyrical about Helmet and John Stania. With John Stania, I think, you know, you also have to chuck in his work with Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Yes. His work, with, his work with Battles. Um, you know he's he's done a lot of session playing and studio contributions to a lot of other artists as well um melissa aftermar being a, a big one i think you know once i heard helmet having already heard you know deftones and corn and all these other bands once i heard helmet and i was like uh, you know they don't on the surface appear to be a particularly technically difficult band helmet and but both Paige hamilton who's a, a jazz trained guitarist who you know played for david bowie and also john stania are playing stuff which is like so it seems so simple but yeah it's so it just grabs you and i think again you know i would chuck in particularly those first couple of tomahawk albums mm. that he played and again again like the drums on both those records they just have uh something which is they're heavy but they're so catchy as well so fucking catchy and i've just always loved i think he is 
he is the he is the unsung pardon the pun um drummer of alt 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 rock alt metal whatever you want to call it he's he's the main unsung guy i would say that's why i picked him because i thought i would i was close there were a few other people that i was thinking i would pick but i i think he's the guy for me he's definitely the guy i i'll just jump in here i think that's absolutely fair and i didn't quite realize maybe quite how influential he was to a lot of the alternative drummers that i really like until you told me to listen to uh in the meantime when we were doing around the fur uh middle of last year it's like oh that's where abe cunningham got a lot of that from fair enough i think he's a powerhouse i've just watching him play live is just he commands your attention when you go watch him play if, if it's if with battles or with helmet i remember seeing him with battles and he has this symbol you know like um i think ray luzier made it really popular having this symbol in the middle of his kit mm. and with battles he, it wasn't there for show it was he would orchestrate the band it was so high up that's what we spoke to him afterwards about it like we played a show with him we were talking about it he was like the rest of the band follow him so he's a conductor in that band and that is how he conducts the changes physically and also as with the sound i thought it was incredible i mean is he a better drummer than ginger baker i don't think he is do i prefer him to ginger baker yes i do but this is you know do i listen to more helmet than i do cream or what ginger baker has done yeah i mean i listen to helmet i fucking think they're great i listen to tomahawk i have my my heart tells me john stainer all the way but i know that ginger baker has had this influence on probably more drummers than John Stainer across, you know, the whole of music, if you like. I think he's probably touched more people. I think he's probably more divisive just because, like I said, I don't want to contradict myself. I, I'm like, I, I'm i not a fan personally, but I know what he's done and I know that he is revered. I don't know that. John Stainer to me is, is personal and, you know, me, we've spoken about Helmet so many times, Steve, mm. you know. Yeah, I fucking love him. So... The poll said 62.8% in favour of Ginger Baker. It is not a landslide. It's quite a significant win, but it's not a landslide. 37.2% for John Stania. Um, Sam, I'm going to let you pick first. I am going to go with Ginger Baker, but I will also say I'm not going to throw my toys out of the pram if, uh, Steve, you want to obviously take John Stania through, given that he is your pick to bring in. Um, this is one of the the matchups that I am probably least sort of passionate about. I think they're both great drummers. I'm not, I'm sort of shamefully not particularly wedded to the work of either, but that's because I've not really listened to enough Helmet. I, I have listened to you know a fair bit of Tomahawk, but yeah, I'll go Ginger Baker on this one. I think. Look, it's fair to go for Ginger Baker, and like everything Ari's just said is correct. He probably should win. He doesn't seem like a particularly nice person. I think maybe if he was, I mean, obviously like the whole, you know, separate the art from the artist and da 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 and all that stuff. He broke, broke that guy's fucking jaw in the first scene <laughs> of the documentary. It's begrudging, it's like, isn't it? This is the thing is like, I'm like, I know you're good, but you're just horrible. <laughs> and I know other people from his era are going to go through anyway. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, and I brought John Stanier in, so I feel like, for what I like, I don't like 13-minute-long drum solos. And I do, I, by the way, I think Cream are fucking brilliant. Take their personalities away from it. Like those, you know, the, the Cream are fucking brilliant. They really, really are. 
but obviously i like helmet and tomahawk and stuff like that more yeah it's maybe not as technically interesting but then you know if, if you're saying that i would probably come back with a there's a, a few battles uh eps and albums that i would probably point in your direction and go that is actually incredibly impressive technically um so i'm gonna go for i i am gonna go for john stania aria you get the deciding vote oh god this is awful because you let roger taylor through i mean <laughs> I, I i want you to be happy eh? both of you you know I, I don't know who to please here please steve he's the better me, isn't it? he's the better one definitely yeah. me yeah definitely me i mean steve asked me to come on <laughs> Yeah. He could, you know, he could delete me after this. He could. I mean, that, look, yeah. I, 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 I listen to John Stania play more than I listen to Ginger Baker play. I get more pleasure from him. Well, easy. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with John Stania. Oi! All right, good. I mean, look, Steve's that is... bullied everyone into what he wants again. Brilliant. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, don't ca- I don't care. I don't care. I oh, honestly yeah. don't care about that one. Okay, fine. Let's move on to one. Um, I, I hate, I actually fucking hate this one, to be honest. Mm. Tony Thompson. Tony Thompson against Clyde Stubblefield. Now, um, this is a heavyweight. This mm. is, uh, it may not appear to, some people, if you're going, oh, you know, I normally listen to metal and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, you may not think it is, but trust me, it fucking is. Let's start with Tony Thompson, who was one that I personally just went, I'm putting this person in. I am putting them in. He's on a lot of lists for like, I looked at a lot of like best drummer lists and stuff and blah, blah, blah. I recently did a big bit, um, wrote a big piece about the first power, well, about the power station. And I was listening to that and I was just like, the drum sound on that fucking album is incredible. The quintessential big 80s drum sound. Um, the dude basically every single fucking 70s disco or 80s pop song that you love He's the guy who played on it, right? Addicted to Love, fucking Cherished by Madonna. Um, d- d- plenty of Madonna. Like, you know, playing live with David Bowie, playing on the fucking Let's Dance album, playing with all the fucking Noel Rogers and Sheik and, you know, Donna Summer and um, so many things. So many things. You know, Diana Ross. This guy's got a fucking incredible CV and he is a big inspiration to Dave Grohl and the sound of Nevermind as well. Tony Thompson's amazing. And when I said to you, uh, I sent you the list through Aria, the f- one of the first things you said to me was like, oh, this was going to be one of my picks. So, yeah, fully. Like, yeah. massive influence, inspiration. Um, I mean, I feel like a bit of a personal connection to him because I had like a, you know, in this business, you sort of, you know, things happen and you, you end up meeting people and stories happen. I've got a good Tony Thompson story. And so oh. I, I think I've sort of liked, liked him more from hearing the story. So, about four or five years ago, um, I did a session for Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. And um, he was in the power station. He put the power station together. And he was doing his first solo record for like fucking 20 years. And for somehow I got the call to go and drum on it. And I was a big fan of the power station and all this stuff. And so I got to pick his brains about Tony and you know what he wanted to get from his record, blah, 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 blah. And he told me this story that Basically, Tony's favourite drummer of all time was John Bonham. And so when um, Zeppelin reformed for Live Aid, Tony Thompson got the call to play drums for Zeppelin along with Phil Collins. And so after that show, because he was doing the power station as well, so he was there and they, um, I think Zeppelin played with two drummers. Tony was one of them. At the end of it, Zeppelin, I think, are going to pack it all in. But they played with Tony and went, right, 
let's do a new Zeppelin record. And so they flew Tony over to England and they went somewhere like in Box, round by Bath near the real world. And they started doing demos and sessions with Tony playing drums in Zeppelin. And the wow. only reason, yeah, the only reason it sort of finished because apparently he got drunk and broke his hand. <laughs> Holy shit. So, I mean, that yeah. was a story I heard and I was like, what a bad man. So he, he, apart from everything he'd done with Sheik and all the stuff you spoke about, he was a rock and roller and loved loved Bonham. And he got to play in his favorite band for a minute. And I remember Andy telling me that he was, that was like the pinnacle for him, the best thing that he'd ever done. It was, you know, and he kicked himself obviously for breaking his hand and it all going tits up. But yeah, I think he's incredible. And yeah. Mm. Sam? A name I was less familiar with, actually, when you sent through the draw. But yeah, look at his CV. I know so much of his work. Um, I mean... I know how big a, a, a fan of uh, Nile Rodgers and Sheik you are, Steve. I mean, for me, if I'm talking about Tony Thompson performance, it's it's the Let's, Let's Dance album, isn't it? I think he's absolutely incredible all over that. And I didn't even realise it was him, but those are some pretty iconic drum beats. So um, massively influential to disco beats and dance and the kind of percussion that I'm really, really into at the moment. So... He's, he might do well from me. Um, I think it's an interesting matchup as well because I think they're sort of quite close bedfellows in approach, shall we say. Yeah, yeah I, I think mean, so. Yeah, I mean, just to go, like, when you hear Material Girl, it goes, boom, 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 that's Tony Thompson. When you hear, boom, boom, the lights are on, vagina, addicted, that's Tony Thompson. Like, honestly, you go through, his CV is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. Um, but the influence that Clive, Clive, Clyde Stubblefield has had on music, this I think is an incredibly interesting one because mm. you've got one of the most amazing stories here. One drum beat, the drum beat on Funky Drummer has basically proved to be the entire basis for the beginning and evolution of hip hop used over and over and over again. And you know, it's maybe not even Clyde Stubblefield that we're putting through here. It's maybe just that break, that breakbeat. Do you know what I mean? Because it is so important. And it's his influence he... in creating a genre, isn't it? It's essentially, which is, which he, is. He 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 basically, in his teens, he came up with that on the fly in the studio, like, and let's you know, this guy's playing with James Brown, yeah. right? Like, you don't get to just play with James Brown in your teens. Well, you don't get to just play with James Brown full stop. James Brown, like, the hardest taskmaster in all of music. And this was the guy holding it down for him for six years and then going on to work with, you know, endless other legends in soul. I think when you listen to those records, like, the funk, the soul, those early funk and soul records are incredible. And he brings, like, just the most wicked sense of shuffling just cool to those 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 recordings uh, this is a really hard one i think really hard yeah this is a really difficult one um i, I think you're right though it's uh, am i vote would i be picking the drummer or would i be picking the drum beat that to be fair essentially kind of was the bedrock of the biggest genre on the planet as we speak i don't know but I did do a little bit of deep diving into Clyde Stubblefield and I found a nice little interview uh, with Ithm Ithmus magazine where he talks about um, 
his kind of influence in terms of wanting to play and compose. Uh, he was talking about um, basically just kind of ambient sounds, so train tracks and washing machines and things like that. Almost quite an industrial um, mindset that goes towards really, um, I suppose, quite sparse playing style. But then I think it's so simple but so effective, hence why that drum beat is probably the most sampled bit of percussion in music history. You know, every single public enemy album and most of the songs on it have chuck d saying sound of the funky drummer in reference to that song that you know he kind of made iconic this is a fucking tough one this one i mean the fact that he survived james brown yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean he gets he gets through just on that alone really i mean i feel like tony thompson is responsible culturally for all of my, a lot of my favorite records you know, and like I say, it's, it's, he's closer to me. But I think Skindred have probably even sampled the funky drummer. You know, do you know what I mean? I'm like, it, it's, it's really hard. But I, I think, I bet your poll is, I bet the Twitter guys are on Stubblefield. They are, yeah. 67% to 33% in favour of Clyde Stubblefield, who also, by the way, I didn't know this until I looked it up. He's he played on two two additional drums on Garbage by Garbage. What? Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. He played on Queer and Not My Idea with two absolute bangers from that first Garbage album. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, phew, this is hard. I mean, I, I think, think I've got, I think I've made my mind up. Go if on, I'm then. honest, I'm going to go with Tony Thompson because to me it means more, I think. I, it just does. I just, uh, I think I listen to, if I, if I had to break it down, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because I listen to a lot of hip hop, but I think, well, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Tony Thompson, but I think probably tomorrow I would change my mind and go with. I mean, I'm that split, but yeah, Tony Thompson today. I'm going to ask Sam to choose next because I don't really know. Oh, I, I, I think I'm just, just going to give it to Clyde Stubblefield because I think Tony Thompson. You know, he, oh, he's been such an integral part of the composition of so many songs that I love. But then Clyde Stubblefield's, he's inspired a whole, responsible for a whole genre that so many people love. So many people, and include myself included. Oh no, but then it, then it is that beat, isn't it? Rather than necessarily Clyde Thompson, kind of as a percussionist more widely. Um, f- oh, um. No, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm I'm going to stick with Clyde Stubblefield. Okay. So Sorry. what you what you've basically got here is what's more important, influence, and there's not no shade on, you know, those fucking amazing James Brown albums. But I think you're looking at influence versus actual the Hit Factory because well, I can draw you a graph and where does the line intersect? Where does the line right. go? And because Tony Thompson has played has sold more records. Mm. like by uh, an un a calculatable amount and i think he's also responsible for the sound that drives so much of those huge pop songs clyde subblefield happened upon a drum beat which was so great and so groundbreaking and blah 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 i personally think I want to go with Aria and go for Tony Thompson, I personally think. But then I feel bad going, I feel like, you know, 
going against a Twitter poll here. Is this the first, like, both, they're both sidemen, right? This is the first time we've done that. Everyone else has been either a sideman or a band. They're both sidemen, mm. right? So they both yeah. do the same. They're both in the same gig. They're not, yeah. it's not a band guy versus a sideman. So mm. that's why I think this is even tougher because you're looking at it as a body of someone's work and what they've done. As you say, he sold more records, but then you've got this influence of basically, you know, it's the beat that launched a thousand ships, isn't it? <laughs> I suppose, actually, this kind of goes back to the first draw we had, didn't it? Where you've got Hal Blaine with yeah. uh, a load of, you know, really, really kind of uh, impressive stuff, but one iconic beat in particular that he is best known for versus someone with a litany of really, really iconic moments. And so, that's made my mind up for me, so I'm going to stick I, with Tony Thompson. because I think it's going to have to go to Tony Thompson. We have it? to. We, I'm yeah. showing a level of consistency, even if I do feel pretty fucking bad about it <laughs> because he shouldn't be going out in the first round that is bad yeah. that is bad um okay uh now the most contentious thing that happened on our twitter was phil collins versus joey jordanson i'm gonna say right now um joey jordanson <laughs> got 78.3 percent of the votes to phil collins 21.7 percent of the votes and some people were pretty fucking angry about that to be honest. that's outrageous we had an angry reaction to phil collins um you know it wasn't us doing the voting whoever was voting for it though um this is a weird one because you know these days i can understand why people maybe don't think of phil collins as a drummer but as a drummer uh phil collins is or or was i should say because obviously he's not very well anymore and you know you can't really do very much unfortunately these days but he is a fucking incredible drummer again like he's playing on those those massive pop songs again the the monk the monkey suit fucking in yes, the air tonight the beat, advert, whatever yeah, the cadbury's yeah. advert becoming a thing like you know that memeable thing but it's just so unbelievably iconic and then you chuck in all the fucking mad shit that he was doing with genesis in the early 70s i this uh, this is uh, this is fairly cut and dry really and i think again um, the poll got it got it quite wrong, and that's no shade on Joey Jordison, who is great. But anyway, that's yeah, he's just Joey Jordison's just come up against, in my opinion, he's like in, he's in my top, he's one of my top guys. You know, one of the reasons I picked up sticks. So of course I'm going to go with Phil and back it up. But I can understand that there would be people out there who picked up the sticks because of Joey Jordison that he has that impact of like i heard him play saw him play and i want to pick up drums and that's that's an amazing you know thing to do to be able to influence people like that and you know his technical ability was incredible but phil collins not only did he you know play on all his own stuff he played on peter gabriel's stuff you know all the all the peter gabriel stuff you know in the early days he played on tears for fears records you know women in chains that's him it's like such a bad man drum part and it's like you know I think probably the most famous drum fill of all time will be in the air tonight. That has to be. I don't think there's a more famous drum fill. Yeah. You know, and Joey Jordison to me, I think he's incredible. I listen to those I records. Think, and it... um... Oh, sorry, I think I lost you there. Yeah, we just cut out for a second there, but I got the gist of what you were saying, mate. Don't worry. It's all good. <laughs> it's all I, good. I heard what you were saying. I think it was on Steve's end. Um, the case for Joey Jordison, who is not going to win. I'm, I'm also not going to vote for him. I'm sorry to say. But I think Joey is 
obviously amazing drummer. And I think he hits an incredible point where he could play extreme metal fills and still have feel to it. Like you listen to the stuff that's going on in Iowa. It's so complicated. It's so almost ramshackle, but it is that controlled chaos that I think exemplifies the very best era of Slipknot and not even just in terms of the songs that they put out. Because let's be honest, the last, what, four albums, patchy at best. Um, but yeah, Jordison's playing... It had a little bit of everything, but I think it was kind of in quite a confined space and it, it obviously, tragically, um, passed away far too young. So maybe maybe he would have explored other other kind of areas and techniques and um, genres in later years. But in terms of what we had, quite a limited space. Whereas Phil Collins, as you say, so much pop material that he did. Um, I really, really like his performance on, I think it's their 73 album. I'm not massive on Genesis, but I think it is. Um, Selling England by the Pound, which I think, um, it's not often you can describe a sort of drum performance as lovely, but there is something really quite summery and just joyous about that. Tasty. Tasty, tasty indeed. Lovely stuff, not my words. Um, Yeah, I... Phil Collins hit and miss in terms of his solo output. I think it's fair to say. I think we all know he came into his own onto studio, but um, yeah, <laughs> bit of Stephen Hill for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna have to uh, agree with you two and um, ignore the popular vote and go with Phil Collins. As much as I love, I've got a Slipknot tattoo. I love Jordison's work, but I think he's a great. I, I think I do prefer Phil Collins. I think he does a breadth of stuff to such a high standard pure energy from and you know like and Slipknot caused such a commotion when they came out and Joey Jordison I mean particularly when you saw them live and you realize that the percussionists don't really do very much um those drums were probably the single most striking element of Slipknot you know uh, it, musically speaking definitely I think they were you know those riffs were great and everything Corey sounded brilliant but those that powerhouse drumming and bringing blast beats to number one mm. on the UK albums chart Joey Jordison is fucking awesome and loads of people in metal um owe him a great debt and i think the 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 way that extreme metal is thought about now and the 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 people are more open to really really heavy music i think a lot of that is down to what joe jordanson brought to slipknot but for me yeah phil collins is a a, a fantastic drummer in so many different areas i mean i believe he i know he wrote you think of the songs he wrote you know like again as a songwriter as well joe jordanson is a decent songwriter Phil Collins wrote Going Loco in Acapulco. Like, do you know what I mean? For the four tops. Like, that's a banger. That's a no, ain't, ain't no extreme metal drummer writing that. Do you know what I mean? That's a fucking tune. And like you say, Ari, you know, like the single most iconic drum fill in history, the pop stuff going into kind of back to playing soul and writing songs for these people, playing for Tears of Fears, playing on very, very complicated early prog rock records with Peter Gabriel. Um, He's not just the bloke from Tarzan, you know, who did the Tarzan soundtrack. This is, uh, you know, it should be, it should be what it is. And I think, yes, Phil Collins goes through. Are we all in agreement with that? Yeah. Yes. I think this is like the Sam Cooke live album all over again. The audience are being disregarded. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Stuart Copeland versus Terry Bozio. Now, let's start with Stuart Copeland. I love the police. Sam is a recent convert to the police. Mm-hmm. Aria, I know. Again, when I sent you through this um, this list, you went, "Oh no, Stuart Copeland was it?" I think you almost like feared the fact that Stuart Copeland might not be on it. So, I was <laughs> like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry, we're we're all on board here. Um, go on. What, what's your thoughts of Stuart Copeland? I mean, for me, he was that pioneer in sort of 
bringing you know essentially what I do in my as my day job. You know, it's the the rock and the reggae. I mean, he's the first guy to really do that. You know, the Clash were doing it, but I think in terms of bringing that, I mean, it's been so many videos about it. Him playing like you know the one drop and all that kind of stuff. It was really revolutionary. I think you know and punking through it's like you listen to like walking on the moon and some of that stuff it's so intricate so intricate and um yeah i think Stuart copeland was wild as well his drumming was wild you listen to those live albums and he's you know a million miles ahead of everything and it but it it's not it's not making it bad it's making it more exciting to listen to and i think nowadays when you go and watch some bands and it seems all really rehearsed. I mean, he was just wild and made those songs, I think, sound even better because he just was throwing everything out there. And I know his technique was incredible. I'm a big Stuart Copeland fan. Big Stuart fan. Yeah, me too. Um, Sam, you yeah. are getting into the police now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I've been a fool for, for not investigating them before the end of 2022, as it turns out. Um, yep, yeah, Stuart Copeland incredible drummer all the rumors were true as it happens and i think similar to roger taylor he's another one where such an integral part of the band because of his songwriting chops i mean when we did a a a, um, a your cult pop a patron um or a patron's suggestion as a review a sort of retrospective one and i saw just some of the uh, the writing credits that Stuart Copeland had got outside of the police as a, as a composer including sort of video game and film scores and things like that and I think he he brings all of that harmonic flair to this combination of rock and roll and jazz and reggae. I think he is a formidable drummer. And uh, this one is very, very easy for me because Terry Bozio, I think, was one of the moments where I thought, you don't need all that on your drum kit. There's far too much going on there. And the first exposure I ever had to him was on the making of Corns Untitled, the bonus DVD that came with that album. And he seemed like a right twat. He's my ginger baker in all this. <laughs> right bellend. Yeah, uh, his kit's too big, isn't it? Yeah, it's way too big. Silly. He's incredible. And also he's done a lot of session work. You know, I mean, missing persons, all that kind of stuff. Very cool. Um, but at the end of the day, it just comes down to what, you know, what you feel the most and what's touched you. I think it's like... You know, I don't get much from his musical output. I know he's amazing, but it, I'm like, you know, his kit. Yeah, it's weird. I get the art of what he's trying to do, but it's just not for me. I'd rather listen to Stuart Copeland play drums. That's basically, that's it. He, he tickles something there, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I do think Bozio's incredibly inventive and obviously got a hell of a lot of dexterity. There's uh, Zappa songs like uh, The Black Page, I think is one yeah. of It's basically a massive drum solo and it does keep a propulsive rhythm and it does keep interest all the way through. But you're right, it's the feel. Like I feel something when I listen to Copeland play that I just don't get from Bozio. Yeah, I think, you know, I, what I, you know, what Terry Bozio is, is doing in here is essentially he is somebody who has like has done so much with so many people you know like you know you mentioned the kind of missing person stuff and looking at that day i'm looking at it now he's done you know blondie and duran duran and jeff beck and um earl slick and billy sheehan and he's worked with like unbelievable amounts of people and if you're in the frank zappa band you've you probably got to be bringing something and he was you know he fronts the sound for the frank zappa band for and, and the mother of invention for like a few albums as well like you know the guy's mm. doing vocals and shit as well but to me it's like dare i say it because he's incredibly talented and i think he's incredibly inventive sometimes i could go this all feels a little bit gimmicky do you know what i mean like i i it's 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 more look at my 
drums and look how inventive I can be with the drums as opposed to Stuart Copeland who is watch me fucking rock the shit out of this absolutely perfect three minute pop song one mm. of the greatest pops like I, next I to you which, for example so yeah, many, I, yeah i haven't even said which one but whatever <laughs> all of them yeah yeah, um so yeah i think this is w- very very cut and dry for me very very cut and dry and sounds like it is to you guys too and i have to say on the poll as well 70.6 percent went for stuart copeland 29.4 went for terry bozio so again pretty cut and dry Stuart Copeland. Um, Mario Duplantier and Dave Grohl we've got next. A little bit of a, an upset, I would say, and I think this maybe says something about our listeners as well. Um, 55.2% in favour of Mario Duplantier over the 44.8% that Dave Grohl got. Um, you into Kajira at all? Oh, yeah. um, you must have seen them about over the years. I have, I have, and I think they're amazing when I've seen them live. And whenever I hear them, I'm like, I've got to go and listen to more of Gojira. And that's where I'm at with Gojira. <laughs> I've, I've no, I haven't gone in. And every time I listen to them, um, I think, what was the last record? There was, um, Amazon. Fortitude. Fortitude. Yeah. Fortitude. What was the single off it? Sorry. Uh, Amazonia Amaz- thinks the one you're thinking of. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Incredible tune. And like people were saying that. It's, you know, it had like a Sepultura Roots type feeling. And I was like, oh, I've got to go and check this out. And every, you know, I follow him on um, on Instagram as a drummer. You know, I, I like checking him playing. You know, he sounds incredible. But Dave Grohl, I'm, mm. you know, a big fan. And I think, you know, for me, growing up when I did Nirvana, you know, it's, I'm, I think this might be similar to Steve. It's like, you know, Nirvana having a massive impact on you and Grohl then going on playing with the Foo Fighters as being, you know, the first couple of records he's plays the, he plays the drums on and everyone's like, okay, they forget him about him as a drummer and then he does Queens of the Stone Age and he goes, wow, okay. Which is probably his most memorable, I think, drumming record after Nevermind, right? I don't know. I mean, I'd probably say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I was to pick a, a single drum performance for Dave Grohl, it would be A Song for the Dead. It, it just is that absolute just ride on the toms that he takes all the way through it and of course the little break of the I did back in fucking yeah spectacular a, a great drum hook absolutely i think he's yeah. um you know sorry i think he's like um he's got that thing you were talking about what we were talking about at the beginning of like having drum hooks dave Grohl. you know each part of the song he would you know something i try and do with our band which i've stolen off him and tony thompson and these guys that you know we've been referencing and talking about is trying to get little pieces of the kit, you know, that little fills that happen all the way through the tune. You know, it's not just a fill for a sake of a fill. It becomes a signature fill. It's really hard to do. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm trying to do it. It's really hard, but Dave Grohl does it really, really well. And as you know, he's had quite a few successful ones, if you ask me, you know, and I also I mean, think it's king of the air drums, isn't it? It's like when you hear Dave Grohl play, you want to air drum. And I think that's it. You know, for me, that's, about 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah everyone yeah. does Every it time. at the bar right everyone does yeah. it it's the one every anytime breed comes on brrr, those toms on breed i mean it's mad to me that an album like nevermind um dave Grohl might be the fucking man of the match on nevermind when that's the you know the biggest rock album in probably any any of our lifetimes and mm. uh is all about Kurt, you know, people just, just go oh it's Kurt Cobain's masterpiece and blah 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 but fuck me i mean and the fact that he he doesn't get behind the kit that much 
but you can tell that when he does he fucking loves it like you know he's out the front for Foo Fighters now but he's always like you say going to do Tenacious D going to do Probot going to do you know um, the, uh, them Crooked Vultures or whatever and yeah he is incredibly instantly recognisable he plays Mario for keeps doesn't he like that's the thing as well. When he plays drums, he's having it every time. He's not sitting back and going, "Oh, it's Dave Grohl. I'm going to play." The-. It's he gives everything to every time you see him play the drums. That's what, which I think is really cool. And Mario does the same actually. Like that passion that he gives when he plays the drums, and that's you know, I think in metal that's really hard. I think you see those guys playing that fast and that technical. They sit there and they breathe and they concentrate, and there's not much movement, but he rocks the fuck out and as it hits hard yeah i do love i mean i was gonna say you know mario feels like the modern metal drummer that everyone always references hence why he's kind of here and he is an incredible powerhouse and i think you know the like the the feel i mean you, you mentioned alex van halen we've mentioned vinnie paul a few times him locking in with his brother that kind of brother the cavalera thing that they've yeah. got as well it's just so fucking cool it is so cool but Again, if we're looking at a discography, if we're looking at a back catalogue, and if we're looking at moments where you go, fuck me, like that is a memorable drum part. There's only really one winner, I think, really. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. I, I think he's, you know, who knows how Mario's going to go throughout the years. But from right now, I know that Dave Grohl's probably touched more people, you know, on a whole. I think he's probably got there through playing, just playing the drums as well. I'm not I'm talking about songwriting, just those drum tunes he's played. And I think also he made drums accessible for people. I think sometimes, you know, if you're listening to, I don't know, as a kid listening to drums, you want to be able to play the, your, your favorite songs. Right. Mm. And I think if I, you know, going back, I didn't, I couldn't just play Dave Lombardo beats, you know, it took a minute to get there, you know, I mean, it still can't, but like, you know, you could sit down and imagine and try your best at a growl part because it was simple and concise and was for the music. And I think that's underrated skill as well. You know, Sam, how do you feel about this? And then give us your answer as well, because we're fucking we've been talking for well, right, the ages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one stinks. I think Mario, um, I mean, he's in the tightest guitar band on the planet. Uh, Gajira, absolutely incredible live, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Something like The Cell or Stranded, when he does these switches between the like different parts of the ride symbol or even the crash. Amazing. But it's, yeah, Dave Grohl, a, a, a drummer who can write melodies on... on <laughs> rack toms you know absolutely incredible so i'm sorry mario it's with a heavy heart i have to vote for dave Grohl as well yeah shame that anyway um this is a tough one uh because it's a type of thing that i don't know loads about so tony williams against gene Krupa. now tony williams got 77.4 percent of this vote um gene Krupa got 22.6 which i think is quite low and you know, Gene Creeper feels like the, the 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 guy next to Buddy Rich from that mm. time who would be that guy. But I mean, Tony Williams, there's some mad. I've been looking at a bunch of Miles Davis stuff, and there's some mad shit. <laughs> Just some mad shit that this guy does. So um, I don't know loads and loads and loads of Miles Davis, but the little bit that I've seen and the bits that I've seen recently when going into Tony Williams as a drummer is fucking well good yeah, yeah I, I agree sorry after you mate 
No, sorry, go on, Aria. After you. you are the percussionist, so I think you should probably have the first say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was just going to say that I think um, I think Tony Williams helped spearhead um, like the fusion, uh, fusion movement, which he was one of the first. Um, I can't remember the name of his band. Um, it's like the Tony Williams uh, Lifetime, right? I think. I think it was the name of his band that yeah. was like doing all the fusion stuff, and you know, at that time, you know, jazz the instruments they were using they weren't playing you know with electric guitars you know heavy style of playing and so fusion was mixing that jazz with the rock kind of stuff and i think he was a real like, trailblazer for that i mean i don't really know same as you steve I've, i don't go deep into that kind of music but i know his you know it was watching old zildjian videos when i was a drummer and you'd always see tony williams playing at these zildjian days and you know it was just him and Dennis Chambers, actually, I think they were, to me, they were quite similar. And I think, yeah, Gene Krupa up against him. I think they're completely different, if I'm honest. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, definitely a completely different type of, you know, I, I, like, again, I've said a bunch of times, I've been trying to get into jazz more, get into that age where you start listening to jazz more. So, and, and I certainly listen to, you know, Miles Davis or, you know, Sonny Rollins or something like that or something that he's been involved in and I go I actually really like this whereas I listen to Gene Krupa and I go this guy's fucking amazing like what a great drummer and I think there's a famous um uh kind of drum off that he does with Buddy Rich um which is amazing but when I put his music on I'm like oh it's a bit more you know it's a bit more kind of oldie sort of that's sort of shit that my nan and granddad would like to dance well, it's, to. it's the big band i mean i think yeah. he was probably the first um personality i think i think before buddy rich he was the first personality and i actually read about him um was reading up about him a few weeks ago i didn't know that he um was responsible for like the modern drum kit as we i didn't know that uh, no, so, I know yeah so he, his drum company uh slingerland um he said to them he wanted you know uh be able to have tunable heads on the top and the bottom and, and so they could have control on both and i thought that was cool and then i found out he was actually responsible for calling the symbols the ride the crash the splash so i mean you've got I, this it's a weird one because i think technically as a player i don't think he is as good as tony williams but what he's done for drumming i think could be seen as probably <laughs> greater because he's responsible responsible for the modern drum kit he's credited with that just mm. as you know aside from the playing i don't know i mean tony williams is like a virtuoso right it's otherworldly so yeah i was saying that i mean the, the thing that um gene creeper did is a, a solo he does on the ed sullivan show which is like mm. in the fucking late 50s or something and i was like wow yeah. I mean, you know again wearing a suit is incredible sam I think in that Ed Sullivan show performance, it's the fact that he is able to glide across the kit so effortlessly and yet plays with such power. Like It just sounds beefy. But for me, I would just about err on the side of Tony Williams because um, I don't listen to loads of jazz either, particularly of that era. But the few bits I do own and listen to are In a Silent Way and Bitches Brew. His performance on Pharaoh's Dance, the opening track on Bitches Brew is mesmeric one of the great drum performances of all time for my money and the fact that he can stand out in a band in miles davis's band i mean it's pretty incredible and as you say um i mean part of the second great great quintet instrumental in jazz fusion and how many drummers have we just have we talked about already we talk about the fact they brought in this jazz influence into what they've done and interpolated it so both massively influential i think that is a really tough one 
I'm plumping for Tony. Just. Aria? Do you know what? I think you've sold me, actually, when I think about it. Yeah, I mean, yes. I get more pleasure listening to him play, which I guess yeah. is, which is what I'm trying to go with the entire thing. I know the guy helped make the drum sets, but <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a big thing, uh, just aside from everything else. So, But yeah, I get more pleasure listening to Tony Williams play. Yeah, clean sweep in, in, in that. But then I think, you know, Gene Krupa, obviously very, very, very important um person and it shouldn't be understated but yeah for the i guess this is a sort of a bit of a kind of personal taste one but yes certainly tony williams for me would go through to the next round um we have to pick one of the next two and then we've gone to sam's wild card he's gone for brendan canty of fugazi versus ringo Starr of the beatles sam um i'm rarely gonna say anything bad well, rarely i'm never gonna say anything bad about fugazi never i wouldn't do it um but you've gone for brendan um mm -hmm. what made you, what made you pick him well brendan canty for me i think is the drummer where i was like holy fuck less is more the fact that i you know i was listening to basically exclusively sort of neil per thomas harker terry bozio that kind of thing looking for the biggest kit the most dexterous kind of complex performance and then i came across fugazi and it's like the fact that this guy's playing with one rack tom, one floor tom, a bass, a, a you know kick drum, a snare, three cymbals, I mean, utterly, utterly spellbinding. And the range of stuff he can do when you've got something that's kind of frenzied and manic as repeater, but then when you get all the way to the argument and how his drumming's evolved into covering so many styles just on the first five tracks, I think Brendan Canty is one of the most underrated drummers of all time and the fact he stands out in this band of four incredibly talented musicians i, I think he's amazing he might be my favorite member of fugazi maybe joe lally it depends on the day you catch me on whereas ringo is not even the best drummer in the beatles so easy brendan canty for me <laughs> okay well aria do you want to take this one um <laughs> well i'm a bit of a ringo fan and i don't really know anything about fugazi if i'm honest <gasps> so i i i, I when i saw him my, my, my heart, i know my heart sank when i saw his name come up because i was like i don't know who that is <laughs> i can't believe this <laughs> can't believe you've done this i know I, I was thinking oh should i sort of like pretend i could do i don't well, I could, but no I, I didn't know so yeah i mean it's it's a hard one for me to have any opinion on because i know one work one i know ringo's work really well i don't know Brendan Canty so difficult and I think also Ringo is badass don't get me wrong I don't dislike Ringo it's just obviously that is the famous quote when it comes to his percussion I think Ringo is very very good and again like Roger Taylor very very integral to the songwriting you know the the, the formula that is the Beatles does not exist without him as, as much as it does the other three members um I just fucking love Fugazi, basically. But I, I, I know, I know, Fugazi. I'm gonna lose. I know, I'm gonna lose this one, and it's not well, fair. It's just I don't fair. think you will, because I don't really care that much. If I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight for Ringo against another guy whose work I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think that's fair. And you guys both know Ringo's work, and you know uh, Brendan's work. So well, I think I'm, you've got better. You're going is... for Ringo, though, are you, Aria? I would just because I don't know the other guy. And Sam's going for so it comes I'm to me for, basically. Well, I was going to say I'm going for Brendan. Obviously, I will say this is quite a good matchup because they're both quite paired back percussionists in terms of uh, the way people see them. They don't see them in these technical virtuosos, but I think there is more behind the curtain than they're actually given credit for. Go on, Steve, break my heart. 
Well, look, I fucking love Fugazi. I think Brendan Canty is an amazing part of one of, if not the most impressive rhythm section in the history of punk rock. Sorry to the guys in Bad Brain. Sorry to the guys in The Clash. Sorry to the guys in Converge. I think Fugazi might have the best rhythm section. I love every single solitary second of everything they do. He brings something to that genre that I don't really think anyone has ever really brought to before. And like you say, Sam, he's evolved so brilliantly as a drummer um, over the years. And everyone knows how much I love Fugazi. But you think Lars Ulrich gets some dumb shit said about him. That is nothing compared with what I think is probably the most underrated drummer in the history of music. Ringo Starr oh. Ringo Star is a better drummer than your favourite drummer. He is, right? He is fucking incredible, Ringo Starr. I think he's one of the best drummers ever. And I, if, if you think he's not, go and play the beat to You Won't See Me of Rubber Soul. You, you play that. It's one beat all the way through. It's only just over three minutes. But I bet you can't play it. I mean, Aria, I'm sure you can play it. But... <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't play it like him. And that's the thing. I think he sounded. Yeah. I mean, every every drummer has their own heartbeat and their own way they play. But I think Ringo was had this swing that I was talking about before that was really. It's really hard to emulate. I mean, you can play Beatles songs, but they don't sound like Ringo. You know, there there is a Ringo beat. There is a there is a Ringo beat. And it's immediately you go, that's Ringo Starr. And you could isolate that. I mean, yeah, you go like, well, you know, the harmonies of Lennon and McCartney and the songwriting and the production. You can isolate Ringo Starr and play it on its own. And like you say, no one else, no one else would attempt to play it that way. And it's such a weird, weird way of rhythmically making some very, very simple songs work. And he... You know, again, you know, he speeds up and he slows down. He makes incredibly odd choices, but he just makes those songs sound even better and even more interesting. Ringo Starr is amazing. I don't think I've ever kind of come out and just said this. I think well, remember we did the White Album when this was Right Act. I, I was like, I don't know. I don't get the hate for Ringo. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think the hate for Ringo Starr is just I mean, I think it's silly for Lars Ulrich, but you can look at Lars and go, he's he's a bit out of puff and he's struggling a bit there. And, you know, like he's had to do these certain, you know, obviously who knows how good Ringo is on the drums these days? Who fucking knows? Because we never see him. He still plays mm. in the Ringo Star Band. He has uh, yeah, Greg, Greg, Greg Busy and it. They play together. He's still got it. He's got that. He's got the thing that made him famous. Because yeah. he doesn't do, he doesn't do anything else. You know, you're not going to get shredding from him. He plays no. one up, one down. And he was one of the first people to be at the forefront of a band, really. Like, the drummer was pushed to the front with the Beatles. He wasn't at the back. He was on the riser, wasn't he? I think I don't think they had drum risers before the Beatles, really. I might be wrong there, but I remember every time you'd see those TV shows, Ringo was on the riser. But usually yeah. the, drum, the drummer in a pop band was pushed back to the side. I mean, I don't know whether that's because of the, you know, the Beatles and what was happening to them, and that just so happened to be there. But he, he was there, and he did it. <laughs> Those recordings wouldn't sound the same without him, and you know. No, I there's I would there is hardly any time ever where I would vote against Fugazi, anything to do with Fugazi, and this is one of the incredibly rare occasions where I am going to vote against Fugazi. I love Brendan Canty. I think he's fucking amazing, but I cannot, with any good conscience whatsoever, vote against Ringo Starr. I just can't. So he goes through. Sorry, Sam. I'm really sorry. 
my WhatsApp to you when you sent through the <laughs> the the draw was where the fuck's Brendan Canty? It he was, wasn't yeah. he wasn't my initial wildcard pick because I assumed he'd be here already. But fine, fine. Who was your initial wildcard pick? Well, because I thought Brendan Canty and all my other favourite drummers would be here, I actually went for uh, Arik in Prota, who I think is a ridiculously underrated drummer, mainly because people know him from Fever 333, where he doesn't get to actually shine, because he's amazing in Night Verses, and his kind of solo stuff that he does on YouTube is amazing. But yeah. Yes. So, I, I, no I, Brendan. I, sorry, after you. Oh, I was going to say he's no Brendan. So. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that, Sam, but... Uh... The facts are the facts. I'm Bloody sofa. <laughs> Let's move on to our next one, which is Mike Borden versus Jeff Picaro. Now, again, this caused a little bit of a, a stink with a few people. Um, 84.1% to Mike Borden, 15.9% to Jeff Picaro. Uh, Faith No More are my second favourite band um, of all time. And I think possibly uh, Billy Gould and Mike Borden combined maybe are my favourite ever rhythm section. They would be mine. Yeah, mm. amazing. I'm I'm yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I feel like the um, the Twitter poll is for Faith No More. Mm. Right, not just Mike Borden. I, I feel like that. I think Faith No More is so um, well. They're so important to me. Obviously, you. So the tunes, everything about Mike Borden's playing, I've always loved. And it was original and fresh. I think you've got this, you've got the side man versus the band guy, which always becomes a bit difficult, even though he was, you know, Jeff Beccaro was in Toto, but he was still like a session guy. I mean, Toto was essentially session players anyway. And I think with Jeff Beccaro, though, he gets, um, What's, it's the Rosanna Shuffle. That's probably like the, one of the most famous yeah. drum grooves that we all try and play. And, you know, he, he references John Bonham and then uh, Bernard Purdy and put their two beats together to get the, you know, the Rosanna beat. But with Mike Borden, I'm like, I could never go against him because he's just in Faith No More. <laughs> I love Faith No More. I, but I have to say, I look at um, Jeff Picaro's CV and it blows my fucking mind nobody does it better by carly simon you know that song don't you aria i do um, i mean he's he's in the uh tony thompson like he's played on all my favorite songs gang <laughs> yeah i mean new york minute by don henley what a fucking tune and the drums on that are brilliant um you know the guy played on thriller the guy played on the biggest Beat it as well selling album yeah he played it on he played on the biggest selling album of all time ever and then he went back and did it with the booze pop. So he, he did Heal the World as well on Dangerous. I mean, like, he has done some fucking mad shit. Mad shit. And again, like, I love, you know, he, he, fucking Pink Floyd. He's on Mother on the Wall. Like, who else can we say this about? Who else can we say, can we look at the Stevie of and go, oh, fuck, you're responsible for the rhythm of so many disparate, unbelievable, iconic pieces of pop culture phenomenons. He is but, a better drummer than Mike Borden, without a shadow is. of a doubt. Without mm. a shadow of a doubt. And it, this is the whole problem here. You've got a band who means so much to you know us, and then you've got this one guy as a sideman 
contributing all of that talent to those tunes that obviously I love as much as well. It's really, really hard. But Jeff Beccaro is, yes, a better drummer, uh, without a doubt. But, <laughs> but, 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 that's what, <laughs> keep coming round to that. He's not Mike Borden, not Puffy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sam? Mike Borden, yeah. Mike Borden and Billy Gould are my favourite rhythm section. I think he is the ultimate example of just playing to the strengths of the song he never ever overplays i think the closest he gets is maybe the title track of the real thing but i mean to be honest i was ready to fully go in on boarding but i think aria you've actually swayed me to jeff picaro because i think you're right when you say that i think the audience vote and i think my vote in picking Mike Borden is actually just for Faith No More. Because when I think about all my favourite Faith No More compositions, while he's a very, very, very important part of that, I'm thinking about the song as a whole rather than his input. Like something like Ashes to Ashes, obviously his percussion's amazing on it, so heavy, so driving, but it's about those riffs, it's about Billy Gould's bass, it is about Mike Patton's vocals. It's Jeff Picaro for me. And you're going for... Borden, Jeff Picaro. You are as well. Yeah, I have to. He, he is a better drummer. And I'm like, I'm trying to like, I've been trying to be true to this whole process and go, okay, is it my favorite drummer or is it the better drummer? And I feel at this point in time, I, I don't think they're close. I don't think they're close. I think he's a far superior player. And I love Mike Borden, but I just think Jeff Beccaro, yeah, he's, as you say, his CV is amazing. At the beginning of the conversation, I was like, well, it has to be Mike Borden because... Mm. I love Faith No More. Yeah, three, three, like, I, again, I've just voted against Fugazi and Faith No More because I think you, you you cannot fucking argue that that guy's CV is ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous CV we will be, we have. No one else has played on as broad and, uh, like, has sold as many records and has as broad a, uh, uh, of a range as Jeff Picaro. It's fucking mad the shit that he's done. Yeah. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would, yeah. Um okay. So there he goes through. Right, we've got two more rounds before we get right into it and we will speed through when we get to the 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 next rounds because we basically said everything we need to say about these people. Uh Keith Moon against Benny Benjamin. Now, Keith Moon probably the wildest motherfucker on the list. An incredibly unconventional uh, unconventional style. Some people have even suggested that he can't really play drums at all. Who are those people? Just, I've seen <laughs> I've seen people saying, "Oh, Keith Moon, he can't really. He's just hitting things. He's like he's looks like he's all going to fall apart. He's got this weird style that isn't how you're meant to play drums, sort of technically speaking, and blah blah blah." But you know, that's part of the fucking joy of Keith Moon, isn't it? Is he is a wild motherfucker, and he turns. I think the who could be. The Who could be an actually um, like a good band, but not a particularly raucous band were it not for Keith Moon, especially those early recordings. He brings the pure raucousness. Yeah, he's the fire. He's absolute fire. But I mean, you can talk about rhythm sections. It's there are the sum of the parts, you know, they all knew when to pull back and when to play and they let Mooney go fucking nuts. They let they let him off the leash, which I always thought was great. He was never like, all this time I'm going play for the song. I mean, he doesn't really. When you when you think about what a drummer should be doing, he is just going mental. Going, I'm having the best time ever. And when you hear the isolated drum tracks, I don't know if you've ever done that on YouTube. You can hear him screaming, 
as he's tracking drums, just going, Rah! and it's like, go on, mate, having the best time. I mean, like, he's an advocate for, like, <laughs> having the best time playing music. I'm like, massive Keith Moon fan. I mean, Benny Benjamin, this is another thing. It's the band guy versus session guy that's becoming, like, a common thing here. I mean, I'll let you talk about Benny Benjamin because his, he's got the CV, right? You know, Motown, all that business. Oh, dude. And again, like, you know, every single fucking iconic Motown song that you hear starts with a... And that is Benny Benjamin on every single one. Everyone, my God. I mean, look at the fucking shit this guy has played on. Unbelievable. Like... um. Uptight by Stevie Wonder, My Girl, Heard It Through the Grapevine, I, um, like the Money, That's What I Want, Do You Love Me by the... Like, the, the, the dude, I mean, this is just a very, very small amount as well. He played all the Motown hits, basically kind of played everything from kind of, you know, in jazz groups in the, the, the 1940s, getting into a studio as the first Motown studio drummer in, in the late 50s and just rocking it out you know until just before 1970 so very he he would only use him right yeah yeah, yeah. you'd only only have him in james jameson as the rhythm section yeah, james 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 exactly. yeah and that that fill that i can't that 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 fill which kind of is the rocket fuel to the start of all of those songs which again i've said it on podcasts before if you don't like motown I think you're probably some sort of fucking, you should be on some sort of red, like register. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. So weird. But um, yeah, I I, like, I love that. I love Benny Benjamin. I feel like he's going to get a, it's a fucking tough draw for him, but he's amazing. Sam, um, how are you feeling about these two? Oh, um, it's a hard one. um, Because obviously I think for the music I listen to, Keith Moon is so directly responsible for the kind of freneticism of the kind of stuff that I love. He is basically animal from the Muppets, um, but with skin instead of fur. So that's good. Blew up his own drum kit. What a mad lad. Absolutely mental. I've not heard those isolated drum tracks. I'd be very keen to do that after this. Um, that sounds pretty, pretty scary. I think I would have been terrified to have been in the studio with him. Um, I'm... Uh, it's a tough one because, you know, there have been so many here where we, you know, you have to give credit to the breadth of stuff they played on. But am I am I going to vote against Keith Moon? I think I might. I might. I might go with Benny Benjamin myself. Oh, OK. It's tight, um, but I might just go with Benny Benjamin. Is that, a, is that you, I'm going to have to push you, Sam, for a decision? I, I'm, I'm locked in. Even if I lose, right. I'm locked in, I think. Are you going for Keith Moon? Yeah, I'm just full. I'm full of shit because I just like I'm just contradicting everything I've said going through this whole thing. But so I'm full of shit. Yeah, Keith Moon has to be. Uh, I'm gonna go for Keith. I'm gonna go for Keith Moon in this instance because I think um, Benny Benjamin has played on. Has definitely played on more hits than Keith Moon. Keith Moon was like say a band guy versus session guy and I know there have been a few times I've gone there there, that I think Benny Benjamin is you know responsible for one particular element of something which is so fucking unbelievably perfect Keith Moon like you kind of rightly pointed out Aria turns the I think Keith Moon turns the who into a 50% better band on his own his i mean look all of them are great john Ent- well, you know, we, we did when we did the live yeah 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 Ent- john entwistle was incredible all four of them are incredible mm. but i think 
you would lose something that is not even about the fucking actual playing or the actual sound of the band with keith moon you would just lose an energy that, that, that you know like i i love the i like the kinks and you know we spoke about stones earlier and all those sort of bands like you know i like all those bands none of them had the energy that the who had like none of them had that thing and keith moon really as much as you could look at pete townsend smashing his guitar up and blah 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 i still think you know there's a guy in a fucking he's playing pissed off his face smashed his drum kit up tries to wants to like pyro it drives a rolls royce into a fucking swimming pool like that plays into it as well i've i'm gonna go for keith moon i'm guessing the twitter poll did as well the twitter poll did the twitter yeah. poll was 80.7 percent in favor in favor of keith moon 19.3 percent for benny benjamin a little bit harsh i think i think it should have been a bit tighter than that but hey what can you do final round the bullshit one the one that i was like ah if you like heavy music you're livid about this if you like kind of proggy heavy music anyway bran daler from mastodon versus danny carey from tool the master versus the apprentice in a lot of ways um tools danny carey again this is a kind of weird one like i have loved seeing uh the evolution of danny carey as the main man in tool right because all four of them i'm just like well you're the fucking best you're the best vocalist you're the best bassist you're the best guitarist you're the best drummer but somewhere down the line people realize that even in the best band full of the best people danny carey was still the best member of the best band and i think that's been amazing to see i think bran obviously takes a lot of inspiration from that he's an incredibly creative dude we're going to be talking about him with crack the sky going forward i really love him stepping into being a more creative visionary voice of the band a songwriter a, you know actually a vocalist in the band as well he's got that amazing kind of octopus like quality to him where he does those beautiful kind of fills in this incredibly dense and harsh music um this is really tough but I do think, like I say, you're looking at Master versus an Apprentice in a lot of ways with this one. I would say on paper, this is tough. Like I think on paper, in an ideal world, this would have been my final. This would have been you know, my, my top two because um, I think they are probably my two favourite drummers. Um, I love Bran. I remember the first time I ever heard Iron Tusk, the amount of fills that just come through. Like every, every half a beat, there's about 14 different snare rolls and tom fills and whatever he's incredible and the fact that he can do all of that and then write these amazing mel uh, vocal melodies that he can then pull off live i mean listening to him do something like crack the sky live is spellbinding on paper very tough but i mean bran daler would choose danny carey that vi that video that now sort of viral video of him doing numa i mean no contest is it that's a nine minute drum solo that the rest of tool back him up on and yet it's still fucking brilliant even though it's a nine minute drum solo yeah Sorry, sorry, Bran. I love you. I tend to agree with you, man. Like I think with Danny Carey, you're on a you're on a journey every time, every single time. And, and I know you are with Mastodon too, but there's a there's a like, there's a frenzied thing to like Bran's playing, which I really really love. And I remember him talking about in an interview I read. He just wanted to make he just wanted to make the album sound like Heart. I can't remember which which record it was. It was like he was referencing like the Heart drummer from like the seventies and like proper groove but like had that like frenzied feels as you were talking about 
with Danny Carey, though, it takes you to a different place, I think. I think as a listener, it takes you on a different journey. And that's part of the band as well, I think. You know, they allow him to do... There's a lot more space, I feel, in Tool's music for Danny Carey to really, you know, be himself, if that makes sense. Like, I think there's enough... With, with Mastodon, I think there's so much going on, you know? There's mm. so much going on in the parts. So I think with Tool, there's, sometimes there's not that much going on. You know, and so you can really hear these massive drum compositions he's put inside a pop tune, essentially, you know, mm. which is clever, I think. So you're going for Danny Carey? I would go for Danny Carey, yeah. I'm going to go for Danny Carey, although I would like to say, you know, I said it before, when I heard Leviathan, coming in, Brian's amazing. He's amazing. He's really, really great. And he's, you know, deservedly in this company i think but for me like yeah i think danny carey it has to be danny carey because he's just that times more do you know what i mean like he can times do... more yeah, yeah. He, he does do that, that thing where he makes it look easy mm. that's the, yeah. that's like just watching him play you don't feel stressed <laughs> you're along <laughs> for the ride and like it's not a criticism of a brand but i feel sometimes a little stressed <laughs> it's like he's singing and he's playing and you're like fucking hell you're trying to keep up with Danny Carey, it's really like controlled and chill, and it's just like you're not really phased by what's going on. I know mm. that sounds a weird way to describe it, but I don't feel panicked watching him play. And when he's doing these things, and you're, you're watching and listening, going, "Wow, okay, I would be really stiff." And it's just it's, he has that fluidity. I think maybe yeah. something to how his kit's set up as well. It's sort of almost weird, like a horseshoe shape, isn't it? It's kind of it's pretty symmetrical down the line. Yeah, it feels like he's got like is racked on there and like the same drums around most drummers have like a you know 10 12 14 16 whatever he seems to like yeah it's the ambidextrous thing isn't it you know leading with both hands a little bit he's very good (laughs) he's very good so um there you go that is the last place in the next round confirmed we've basically spoken about all the drummers now and kind of put them head to head so i think we'll get through these next few rounds fairly quickly starting with john bonham against Buddy Rich. This is where the Twitter poll uh, can't help us anymore, lads. So it's going to be a quick... Um, who you saying? Sam. Um, heart says Bonham, but head says Rich, and I'm going to go with Buddy Rich. Aria. John Bonham. Steve gets the tiebreaker. Are oh, you absolute bastards? I thought you'd both go for Bonham, and I would have, and I would have gone. Oh well, you know, Buddy Rich is. I have to say, the best of for the what, Beatles. <laughs> the best for what I like, and for what I listen to, and for the just the sheer like I fucking love the dude. John Bonham goes through to the next round. Everyone okay with that? I'm really sorry. I'm, no, but I'll, I don't like it, but I'll have to go along with it. I'm sorry, Travis Barker. I've <laughs> let you down again. That is mental, though. That is, is this the luck of the draw? Neil Pert versus Charlie Watts. Um, I'll start this one off. Um, I think we all know what we're going to vote for here. Actually, no, no, because I'm going to be the deciding. Aria. Well, I'm going to go for Charlie Watts. Yeah, and I'm going to choose the correct answer of Neil. <laughs> <laughs> and this time I'm going to side with Sam and I hey. am going to say Neil Pert and I'm going to put him through to the next round. Dave Lombardo versus Roger Taylor. Um, 
Ooh. I'll start this one. I'm going to say Dave Lombardo. Aria. Well, I have to say Roger Taylor. Sam. Oh, it's... I'm going to have to chuck out my copy of Rain in Blood because I'm going to go with Roger Taylor on this one. Are you really? I think for Amazing. For, de- for dexterity and songwriting that is proven and the restraint that he can show at times, I'm going to have to just go for Roger Taylor. Amazing. Wow. I wasn't sure you were going to do that. Mm. I was con- <laughs> I was convinced you weren't going to do that. I thought, I don't really know how to make this. Okay, this will be interesting. Uh, Stania versus Tony Thompson. Um, Sam. Uh, I mean, I already said I wasn't really that wedded to kind of Stania's output, so no shade on the man, but I'm gonna, I am gonna have to go with Tony Thompson. I'm gonna have to sit with my guns on that one. Aria? Um, it's Tony Thompson for me. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I picked John Stania and he is great, but even I have to sort of bow down to the brilliance of of uh of tony thompson and his incredible cv oh that was bad for you wasn't it yeah phil collins versus stuart copeland uh sam i i enjoy the police's music more copeland for me i'm interested because rough that is rough yeah that's a really Because I, I could I could make I mean look I can make this easy for you, Aria, and just answer now and just say I'm gonna pick Stuart Copeland so you don't have to make any I would pick Stuart Copeland. I would pick if it had any it doesn't really matter, does it? I would pick Phil just because you know, growing up it meant more to me. But I think Stuart Copeland's drumming is incredible. Yeah, I, that was really hard. I'm just talking shit now. That's right. <laughs> They're both awesome. I feel I feel bad for some reason. I have to write him a, <laughs> write him a letter. Yeah, I think like you know, uh, brutal. Co- like, I think that come come back to this in a year when you fully turned into Patrick Bateman, Steve, and then it'll be a different conversation. Yeah, look, the thing is, is that I think you know, if, if people might turn around and go, well, all the stuff that Phil Collins has done, just to kind of justify a little bit. I think the like I'll take the police over Genesis mm. definitely without any question whatsoever. I also think you know Phil Collins has got some amazing solo material, which is completely different to what he was doing when he's drumming in Genesis. If you go and look at Stuart Copeland's discography and the stuff he's done, movie soundtracks and stuff, that is massive. That's hugely impressive. Hugely impressive as a songwriter. He is you know he's not written as big pop songs as Phil Collins. But he's written some really, really amazing. He's done some really, really amazing things. So I don't feel that bad actually at kicking Phil Collins out. This I early. think your Twitter followers will agree with you. I think, I think they, they, they would have gone for Stuart Copeland. Okay, here's a hard one: uh, Dave Grohl versus Tony Williams. Hmm, that's quite hard. I'm. Can I say? Can I ask Aria to go first on this one? Of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily go first. Um, I will say Dave Grohl. Just I'm going with things that I think mean more to me. If I have to like go who is the better drummer, then in, it will be Tony Williams. But I think there's personality, there's output that, that I get. Um, all the things we've spoken about loads. But I think, yeah, t- um, Dave Grohl means more to me as a player. And I've been affected more by him. So, Sam? 
I think for the same reasons that R is just given, I I will have to go for Dave Grohl. Actually, I think oh. that that is that is as good a reason as any. I think his music has touched me uh, even more than the stuff that Tony Williams has performed on. Some of which I didn't even know he'd performed on, and that I knew so well. Okay, um, if it means anything, I would have gone for Dave Grohl as well. Okay, cool. I think. <laughs> although i am aware i don't think he's as good as drummer or whatever but fine um i mean pharaoh's dance is better than smells like teen spirit compositionally but yeah. i do prefer smells like teen spirit let's be honest so. yeah. yeah ringo star versus jeff Picaro. uh aria S- Stephen hill in hell yeah this is punishing uh <laughs> If I if I'm taking the stance as I I just did on the last round, it would have to be. Oh, I don't know actually. It'd be Jeff Picaro. Okay. Cops are turning. I think it would have to be Ringo Starr. Actually, it would. It'd be Ooh. Ringo Starr. Yeah. Sam, um, if I'm using that stance. Okay, Sam. I think that's a fair stance to take. I think uh, obviously the influence of the Beatles massive, but if I think about the songs that I prefer. Jeff Picaro has been on the music I prefer. And also, Ringo Starr knocked out Brendan Canty, and I can't be having that. I can't let that slide. So, Jeff Picaro. Still going through, so don't worry about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know he is. Um, Ringo Starr. I, don't, I, I know that that will probably, to some people, be considered controversial. I actually don't think it is controversial. Ringo Starr has played on the biggest albums and the most important albums ever. Of all made. time. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and look... Jeff Picaro's CV is spectacular. He is tech. You wouldn't ask Ringo to come and session for you if you were Don Henley, or you might do, I don't know, or fucking Michael Jackson or whatever. You probably wouldn't do that, right? You probably wouldn't do that like you did with Jeff Picaro. You wouldn't set up a massive fucking kit in a big room and say, come down with all these like amazing set. Like, you probably wouldn't. But I'm, I just think Ringo is, you know, he's. He's that important to the sound of all the music that we like, and I, and I just can't, I just can't have him out. I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah, but um, he wasn't on in on the kill taker. So fucking hell, give it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Keith Moon against Danny Carey. Whoa, this is proper. Like, you know, cosmic chops versus just sheer animal hostility, isn't it? Mm. Um. Uh, Sam. Danny Carey. Aria. Keith Moon. <sighs> Poor Steve. Danny Carey. Yes. It's gonna, yes. It's going to be Danny it's Carey. Savage. Yeah. Yeah, what sorry. an upset. Sorry, mate. It's got to be Danny Carey. Okay. We get to John Bonham against Neil Pert. Sa- <sighs> Neil. Actually, no. Aria's going to say John Bonham. Obviously. I am going to say John Bonham. And I'm going to say Neil Pert. So, Steve, it's up to you, isn't it? This seems to be happening quite a lot. Um, look, he's flipping a coin. I'm not flipping <laughs> a coin. I'm writing John Bonham. <laughs> what I'm right. um, yeah, I think jo- I think John Bonham is just uh, he's he's probably not well. He he's not technically better, but again, foundationally, I think it's really hard to argue foundationally that John Bonham isn't more essential to to everyone. You know, like I'm not. I think Russia are a really good band and, and Neil Pert does some really great stuff on those poppier moments. 
I think the, the the foundational importance of what John Bonham has brought to John, I think, is just a bit more. Is that that's fair, isn't it? Well, well I agree with that. I agree with that, and so would Neil Per. His three most influential initial drummers were Keith Moon, Ginger Baker, and John Bonham. So, fair play. All right, good. So we are now left with Roger Taylor versus Tony Thompson. It's the Aria Goggin derby. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. That's brutal. Um, and I'm going to make you pick first, Aria. Um, I'm going to pick with Roger Taylor. I'm sticking to my guns. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to pick Tony Thompson. I'm going to pick Tony Thompson as well. Oh, so, uh, sorry, Aria, but it's got to be done. Do you know what? I, th- I I feel like I could argue why I want Roger, but he is not as good a drummer as Tony Thompson. Yeah, fair. It's just, it, get, it gets savage at this point. It's yeah. yeah. Stuart Copeland versus Dave Grohl for a place in the semi-finals of this. Um, I, I'm... Ah. Uh, yeah, uh, gonna ask you, Sam, what you want to put in? I am gonna go for Copeland. Just about, but I am gonna go for Copeland. Aria, what are you saying? I'm gonna go with Copeland too. I think I would have gone with Copeland if it made any difference. Um, but it doesn't, so I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give my vote to Dave Grohl because I don't like him Sympathy. going out yeah. on, on on a three to zero. I don't think that's very nice. Sympathy yeah. for the devil from Tenacious D. All right, Ringo Starr against Danny Carey. Um, <laughs> mental. Um, Sam, do I need to ask? No, you don't. So it's... Uh, That's me. It's Brendan Canty again. <laughs> Brendan Canty. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know which way you're going to go with this, Aria. I'm going to go with Ringo. Oh, I so you, you, so you have to... Like, you're in a difficult position here, Steve. Because you... oh. we're doing this on video and I can see you squirming. <laughs> Yeah, fucking hell. I mean, I think Steve's going to go for Ringo, though. Wrongly. I think you're going to go for Ringo. No, I'm actually not. Yes. And this, in, this instance, I'm actually, in this instance, I'm actually not. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you for why. I just think Danny Carey is, has become the most important member of a band that was my favourite band for years and years and years and years and years. I think even though... Keith, you know, who did he... Jeff Picaro plays on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and, you know, he's a dude in Toto and, plays like that. and Ringo. And Ringo is so fundamental to all of that. And, you know, he really, he really, really is. And he's a really, really great drummer. I just think Danny Carey has got something about just an aura about him, which I think is really amazing. So I'm going to say Danny Carey, which brings us to... John Bonham against Tony Thompson, which is brutal. Um, oh, Aria? I'm going to choose John Bonham. Tony Thompson would have chosen John Bonham. He would have done, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, it was his hero. I'm also going to choose John Bonham. Because I think Sam will as well. Yeah, I, I will. Although, because I... It doesn't matter. I'll give the vote to Tony Thompson in the same way as you've just given to Dave Grohl. So, that's oh, okay. a nice way to be that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pity, you know. That's what they <laughs> want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Stuart Copeland or Danny Carey? Fuck. 
Um, I'm going to stick with Carey. I mean... Aria, I'm looking at you, Aria. You're looking yeah, at him with Stuart the Copeland eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if Danny Carey's knocking out Ringo Starr, and then he's got a knockout Stuart Copeland as well for me. I think Ringo Starr would have knocked out Stuart Copeland. So, do you know what? I I I, I agree with that logic. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, he would have done. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so it's J- John Bonham against Danny Carey. Now, oh, hang on, there's, is... there's a surprise third candidate, the Roland Eight Hundred Eight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the yeah. best, the best one. <laughs> yeah. He's come from Steve Albini's <laughs> thrown it through the window from nowhere. Steve Albini comes in with a chair to hit you with a Roland 808. Right, go on. So Danny Carey and John Bonham. So what we've got here, essentially, I think, as a, as a final two, is we have got the pretty much, I'd say, for for forty odd fifty years, the undisputed greatest rock drummer of all time, who's played on you know some of the the most essential rock music and most formative and important rock music ever ever made who has this fucking whole legendary thing behind him um and then we have this guy who has basically kind of become the sort of centerpiece of maybe the biggest cult band in the world at the moment who you know can do things i think probably even john bonham himself probably couldn't actually have physically done is that would you think i'm overreacting a bit aria no I, I i agree with that i mean music has moved on from you know i mean john bonham what died in 1980 so he's had 43 years where music has evolved the instruments evolved technologies involved so i don't know it's fair to say he wouldn't be able to do those things if they weren't presented to him at the time he was working with a basic drum kit he only ever played one pedal you know, I mean, yeah. it was very simple. I mean, in terms of influence, I mean, I think John Bonham pips Danny Carey in terms of the influence he's had on everyone. I think um, it's weird. I think using like the example of, you know, Tony Thompson would have chosen, you know, blah, blah. I think Danny Carey would choose John Bonham. I don't, I think, you know, when you're a player, you, you, you tend to be humble. And, you know, I'm, I have no doubt that one of Danny Carey's biggest influences was probably John Bonham as a kid. So it's hard. I mean... Do you think you, John Bonham would have picked Danny Carey? I think John Bonham would have picked himself. <laughs> <laughs> he would have picked Ginger Baker. He would have picked yeah, himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to know what he would have thought of a player like Danny Carey. I mean, mm. it's pretty weird. I mean, it's pretty wild what Danny Carey does. So... It, it's strange because we, we're all used to it. We're, de- we're desensitized by that stuff now, aren't we? So imagine being John Bonham and suddenly waking up and going, oh, fucking hell, who, who are these guys? But it's weird because I'm actually not, like, I feel like I am desensitized to a lot of things, but when I do see Danny Carey, I do still go like, fucking hell. Mm. And there's not a lot, like, you know, I think going back and looking at people, you know, like, like Tony Williams and looking at, you know, old, really early Gene Krupa and you know going back to you know the, the Muppet show with um, you know Buddy Rich and stuff like that and you, you're just like wow this for then it's incredible they're wearing suits and but and sometimes you, you do look at someone like I don't know Mario Duplantier and go oh yeah yeah he's a really great metal drummer he's not mm. made it out of any of the rounds 
but I go and watch Tool and I look at Danny Carey and go, ah, oh, fuck knows. Fuck knows how you do that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it, I think, Steve, once again, it's going to be a tiebreaker for you. I think I am going to have to go with Danny Carey. And I think the thing is, I think you're absolutely right, Ari. It would be really interesting to see what he would have done because thinking about Neil Peart, it would have been not long after Bonham died that he started incorporating even more electronic elements to his drum kit and he changed his style so drastically in the same way that Bonham may well have done. But seeing Tool at the O2 last year in particular, the mix of power and dexterity and the fact that Danny Carey can write tunes on the drum kit, like you listen to something like Jumbi or as I've said, Numa, um, Third Eye, those amazing compositions. It's got to be Danny Carey for me. They, they are songs unto themselves, his his drum parts. So, And all the respect in the world to John Bonham, who you're right, Danny Carey would absolutely pick John Bonham, but I think Danny Carey should actually be selfish for once. Are you going I mean, for John Bonham? I, I am, yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 he's, you know, the biggest influence on me, along with, like I said, Roger Taylor and those guys. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, it would have to be John Bonham. I think going into this, I expected him to be in the final, mm. Bonham. And when I looked at Danny Carey, like Danny Carey being in, I was like, yeah, he deserves to be where he, you know, in the final against. I mean, it's quite, I think there's quite a nice, I mean, they're, they're both, I mean, Danny Carey's almost 60 now, right? Mm. Which is incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, being able to play um, with that. I am going to say, I think I've made my mind up based on what you guys have been, just been saying. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I wanted Ringo to get quite far because I think, you know, uh, and he's beating up someone like Jeff Picaro, who I think is obviously a better drummer. Uh, I think Danny Carey, may, you know, like you say, due to the time we are in the world at the moment, Danny Carey, there's evidence of Danny Carey. I'm not saying he's a better drummer than John, bon John Bonham, but I'm saying there's evidence of him doing things that John Bonham maybe couldn't have even conceived, sort of like, say, 40 years ago or whatever. John Bonham is so incredibly fundamental to the way that people play drums, not just in rock music. I mean, in hip-hop, how many times? Like, Beastie Boys have fucking sampled Zeppelin. Like, how many times in hip-hop have we heard that, you know, again, to go back to that when the levee breaks beat, mm how often have we heard that um it was this kind of this wild west time when zeppelin came through and they fucking just rewrote a rule book on like how people played their instruments in a, in a, in a lot of ways uh, or they maybe didn't even rewrite it because you know mitch mitchell and Jimi hendrix and people that we've spoken about before but but i think like certainly zeppelin became the band where everyone went are that that's how we do it that's how we're going to do this the beatles did that as well you know like to mention ringo but not many people ringo might be a really massive influence on people but i don't think you hear many people trying to play like ringo um and so for that uh or maybe not as many people it's, <laughs> it's bonham in it yeah i think it's i think it's got to be bonham i think danny carey's amazing mm. But I think Bonham is just like he's got that that thing that that got Ringo Starr this far, but with even more. Agreed. So I, I mean, he's the first proper stadium filling rock band, really. Mm. You know, 
I think it's a shitter that he got drawn against Buddy Rich in the fucking second round, but these are how these things I mean, Buddy Rich should have got further, you know? But mm. Yeah, of course. Of course. There are a lot of people who I think uh, can feel pretty hard done by, but that is, unfortunately, the luck of the draw. Travis Barker's not one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doom from the start. Yeah. Um, but there you go. We're saying it. We're calling John Bonham the finest drummer. The fine that we found him. We found the finest drum ever. Aria, mate, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. We appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a good time. Um, and uh, we'll see you. Well, we'll see you. You probably won't see us because we'll be in a field waving our tops above our head. I believe that's what you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some video evidence of that, please. I've never done that before. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm not taking my top off of anyone in public. Um, but, mate, it's been lovely. So we'll see you. Um, we'll see you, Lotly, who's listening next week, mate. Uh, Sam, cheers. See you soon. And yeah. Aria, it's been a pleasure having you on. Come back anytime you want, mate. We'll just, just talk about Thank you very much, guys. It's a pleasure to meet you both as well. Nice, nice to meet one. you, mate. Nice to meet you. See you later, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Cheers.